Earth 2, a world much like our own, yet slightly different. There, young and old have joined forces to battle evil, the newest heroes joining the champions of the Golden Age, presenting Tales of the Justice Society of America. Welcome to the lucky 13th episode of Tales of the Justice Society of America. Thank you so much for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the show. I am Clinton Spillsbury. And I am Michael Horse. And it is so awesome to be back. Man, it feels like forever since we've talked, you know? It, it's it, It's been, well, it's been literally a week yeah. since we did our last Back to the Bins uh two recording because just to peel back the curtain folks we usually one week we'll record two episodes of back to the bins and the next week record um two episodes of tales because yeah. it just works out better that way well you know we've we've so. made the joke before wow you know it feels like so long and we were kidding because we had just finished the prior episode in yeah. this particular case <laughs> you know and it's funny you should say that about about peeling back the curtain because uh, there was something i was going to bring up in this one about the fact that we don't we don't really have much of a curtain, you know. No, in, there, in there, there really isn't. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, it, it's it's like uh, it's like those old fifty shows where you know if there was a naked woman standing behind stage and that gets on air, you know, so be it. So. <laughs> well, I'm I'm actually much cooler with. For some reason, I'm all like I don't know why, but I'm all like anal about that with with two true freaks. But with this one, I don't know. It's maybe it's the relaxed atmosphere of of this show. But I'm much cooler with like. They're not being much of a curtain at all, you know. I just I don't know what it is. I don't know what the difference in the two shows is, but it is very. It, it's probably me, and I'm not saying that out of any arrogant thing. But over at Views from the Long Box, mm-hmm. I am very, you know, it's like you know when Rachel comes in, it's like, hey, how you doing? You know that kind of thing, right? Because that's kind of the sh- that's my shtick, you know. I'm the I'm the laid back, you know, tell you about what I had for breakfast that fucking morning. And what comic I read during breakfast type of, type of host. So, See, I uh, envy you that ability not to get like all freaked out, like when your dog comes in or your wife comes yeah. in, or because I couldn't be like that with two true freaks. I, I might possibly be all right doing that with like back to the bins, maybe even this show, but two true freaks. I mean, I'm constantly, you never hear it in the show, of course, but I'm constantly like, okay, Chris, hang on just a second. And then it's like, shut the fuck up up there. I'm recording, you know? So it's like, I'm really, yeah, it's it's weird. It's so, so strange. And that's, fine. yeah. Every, everyone's a certain way. Uh, you know, it's just, I, I think uh, the main thing is, is that we're just so relaxed about how we discuss the books. You know, it's like, we'll we'll fucking joke around during the middle of the you know, during the middle of the synopsis, if we see something funny, right. we'll bring it up, you know, and, and not have like, you know, this is the synopsis and this is how we feel about it. Good night. I mean, that, 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 that'd be boring as hell. Well, you <laughs> really, know, it'd be boring for me to record that way, at least. Of, you know. of the shows that I'm a part of, you know, of the shows that are on the quote unquote Two True Freaks Network, this is easily numbers wise the most popular show and i think that's part of it is that we just we come in and we're just ourselves and we're not you know 
putting on airs or or even try to make it like let's make this super professional you know radio style you know morning drive time bullshit you know we're just coming in and just all right well let's just do it you know and i like that oh. I'm, oh. I'm so relaxed on this show as compared to a lot of times with everything else and, and i've got to thank you by the way because i got a phone call <laughs> From Dufo DeMonzo, <laughs> owner of the DeMonzo. Apparently, he bought views from the long box. Oh. See, I should have never I I said anything to him about, you know, hey, you got to listen to this show. And yeah. I didn't even know it was for sale. <laughs> That's the thing. I just get a call and I, and I, and I got in touch with, uh, with uh, you, know, uh, you know, the legal department here at, at the fortress and they're like no this is this is legit so well, that's what the guy does I man i mean you know look at all the corporations <laughs> this dude's bought up like clear channel and shit man that's, that's his yeah, shit. No shit that's what he does you know he he sails in and the next thing you know you know well fuck i didn't even know the company was on the market well you know when he's the majority share you know it's like uh uh perry white at the end of superman 4 you know it's like hey dumbass i went and bought all your stock out from under you and now i own your fucking business you know so <laughs> What are you gonna do? So, so I'm now further into the family than I was before. So, perfect. I mean, welcome, not, not that I mind. Welcome to indentured servitude. <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, I love it. Well, hey, while we're doing the uh, the mutual admiration society, I, I want to throw this out there to the listeners because I don't. Again, you know, with with there being very little of a of a curtain uh, with this show. Man, uh, I just want to give credit where, where credit's due. You have been doing an awesome job with this show, with, with editing and everything. Now, that's, maybe that's another reason why I'm so uh, so relaxed and so relatively stress-free with this show is because I'm pretty much the lazy motherfucker of, the ep- of these episodes. Is I pretty much just show up, you know, and that's awesome as compared to, like, Two True Freaks – or back to the bins where, you know, I, I have a measure of, you know, with Two True Freaks, I handle um, one regular episode as far as the full editing task and everything. And then occasionally I'll help out with specials or maybe do a half an episode, you know, edit, edit like half an episode just to help out. But other than homework and everything, that's about it with that show. Back to the bins, you know, I, I handle all the editing and everything. But you take the entire reins with this show and you're doing a great job i just wanted to let you know because i know you've been stressing a little bit about that with with time and everything because we you know we both do so many other projects yeah, anything, no but, shit uh, this was this was the second week in a row where i did from crisis to crisis and tales back to back and let me tell you that's 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 running a freaking gauntlet <laughs> when you when you edit two hour and a half shows right what? And and that's final product it's not the the three hours you listen to right <laughs> Because you're cutting crap out, right, and, and all that stuff, and I'm not complaining by any measure. Don't get me wrong, but just work has been freaking crazy this week because we're supposedly getting corporate visitors, and nothing will will drive a, a retail establishment in a tizzy uh, with the mere. It, it, it's it's kind of like we were joking about the fact that in Georgia, when you say the word snow, you immediately have to go out and buy bread and milk. If you say corporate visit in any retail establishment, you know, it's it's just like suddenly it's like one of those movies where it's been announced that the aliens are invading and (laughs) people are fucking rioting and throwing trash cans into stores and stealing TVs and shit. I mean, that's basically... (laughs) 
That's basically, you've been there, you know it, you know what's going on, you've got the 411, and it's just, so, between working, like, 10-hour days and all that shit, I, w- I was just like, I gotta get this done, but I'm so fucking tired. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just, I, w- I want to give credit where credit is due, and, and let the listeners realize that, you know, the awesomeness that they're hearing is totally your response, or well, totally uh, your uh, your doing. You know what I mean? And, and that you're doing a really good job, and that you know, I mean, you're pulling like all nighters sometimes to get this shit done, which is an incredible amount of dedication over and above me. You know, I wouldn't. I, I'd I like, be like, I like, oh. I like doing the show. I mean, I, I want to get it out on time. Right. You know, views. I'm kind of. I'm not lazy about it, but if I get to a point where I know I can't get an episode of views, then there might be a week or two where there's not a views from the long box. Uh, but with this show, because I have somebody else depending on me, it's the same with From Crisis to Crisis, too. Right. Um, you know, I feel like I got I got to step up and get it done. Right. And, you know, it, it, the only thing, the, the one thing that I, that I wish I could do better is the music. And you know, you have, you and I have talked about that. And you told me not to worry about it. But if I, I've been actually, when I'm driving around, throwing. I have a Zune. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's my MP3 player of choice. Do not write in and make fun of me for having a Zune. <laughs> it's a, it's a fine fucking MP3 player. That's all I'm saying. I've only had one problem with it ever, and it wasn't the player's fault. It was the douchebags that programmed it and didn't realize that February that 2008 had a 29th in the February. <laughs> so on New Year's Eve of that year, the Zune became a brick for a day because they didn't program the calendar right. So, anyways, um, I've been listening. I've been putting on the superhero genre because that's where I stick all of my superhero right. scores, and just putting it on shuffle. Ah, that's a and, good idea. And, and familiarizing myself, because I've listened to all of them, but I don't have the ear for it that you do, and I think that's just because you listen to your scores more than I do. Mine. Well, yeah, I was just going to say, it, it just comes from not only having listened to them for years and years and years in most cases, you know, the ones that have been around a long time, like Superman the movie and stuff like that, but also, I literally listen to nothing but scores exclusively as my music. You know, I, I used to, years ago, I used to be into quote unquote regular music, you know, your, your rock and roll and stuff. But uh, I was never into like pop or anything like that. And somewhere along the line, in, in like about, I don't know, within like the last 10 or 15 years, I just suddenly realized one day that, wow, I no longer listen to anything. But movie music, I don't know where it, it, it happened. It just kind of happened that way. I mean, I don't have anything against other kinds of music. I just don't listen to anything but, but anymore. It's it's really odd. But uh, but I just you know I loves my mu- movie music. So so I'm just, I'm just exercise. I'm trying to exercise a different set of editing muscle mm-hmm. in that in that regard. Because with from crisis to crisis, you know, there's the intro music. I edit the the audio. Sometimes I'll throw in like a little joke here and there. Uh, and I'll, I'll slap on the end, and that's it, you know. And it's kind of the same with views. I record views, I edit it, I record a section, then I'll edit it, but I'm not, I don't really put music under it. With this, I really kind of want to do that, because this show is an amalgamation of the two of us. Right. It's a show we created together. Right. Uh, you know, Back to the Bins I came on to, and it's, it's my show now, or my co-show, I guess. But I wasn't there on the ground floor, so... 
it, it feels like uh, you know I don't I don't know quite how to describe it but with this one I wanted it to be a representation of each of our podcasting styles. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so sometimes there won't be music when we're talking because that's my thing. But sometimes where it's appropriate, uh, you know, I want to add some music because that's your thing. And I think that shows the complement of, of our two personalities, basically. Cool. So that's I, I why like I'm that, kind of, too. I mean, we've, we've gotten mixed reactions to music, you know, on, on the other shows that I do. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, the, the comments are pretty favorable, but, I, you know, every once in a while I get the occasional, like, wow, that's really, you know, not, not cool, or you know, even sometimes people will be like, wow, that's really annoying. But maybe, it, again, it just comes from my, you know, my style of music being movie music, but to me, what the hell is that? That's my phone. I'm sorry. I didn't put it on silent before we recorded. <laughs> Hold on. Please silence your cell phone before. <laughs> it's Jacob probably calling me from the strip club. <laughs> you need to leave all of this in, by the way. There we go. But uh, sorry, you know you, you you give the you you give these women your phone number and you tell them you're married, but they call anyways. So mm-hmm. damn it. Yeah, like that happens. <laughs> Well, I think we should get to the emails because we've got a whole bunch to go through. Because, again, this is going <laughs> to – I hate to say this because it sounds like a, a little off. But every once in a while, we're going to have an issue that we really don't have much to say right. about. And there's going to be some times like I think next week's episode is going to be freaking pass yes. uh, because there's so much to talk about. Yeah. But well, this, they're not all winners, is what I guess. Yeah. Well, I, I, guess I don't have any. I, I actually really like the issue that we're going to do, but really, I, I think what it is is I'm kind of saving all my comments for the following issue because this issue, in a lot of ways, is set up for the next one. Yes. So, very much yeah. so. I will agree with that as well. Plus, there's not a hostess ad again, which I just. It makes me mad at this point because I'm like, no, that's what everyone likes. <laughs> Everyone likes the hostess ad. I feel like we should pull one from SeanBaby.com. I got a I got an email from Chris Honeywell today, and he sent us a file. But the the name the 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 subject of his email was hostess podcast, and my first reaction was, ah, fuck, somebody's doing a hostess podcast. And when I realized that I had that reaction, it made me think. We have got to do a separate podcast just doing nothing but in reenacting hostess as What, li- li- little five-minute Yeah, I mean, podcast, just a, basically? Yeah, exactly. Just a short little – I mean, literally nothing but the ad, and that's it, and it's over. So, I mean, if it takes you three minutes, it's a three-minute podcast. But I think that's a good idea because if I had that reaction to his email that, <laughs> damn it, somebody's stealing our thunder, then that means we've got to do it. You know what I mean? I, I feel that passionately about it, ultimately. So. You are you are far more territorial than I am. Goddamn right, man. <laughs> I find out that somebody's do- covering in their podcast what I'm covering on any one of my 50,000 podcasts. I want to hunt them down and kill them right there and then. That reminds me of a knock-knock joke I heard recently. Okay. Knock-knock. Who's there? I'll fucking cut you. <laughs> <laughs> that was always my favorite knock knock joke. 
But uh, I'll start us off this week. Okay. Uh, with one from our good friend Jose, and I can honestly say that because I feel like him and, and a couple of the others have become very good friends of ours. And, <laughs> I always have and, this thing in the back of my mind that we say things like that from our very good friend, and they're going, I don't know these fucking assholes. <laughs> <laughs> but he says, hey guys, after listening to episode nine, you guys got me thinking. Few writers knew what to do with the Adam outside of Roy Thomas, and he is speaking of the Al Pratt Adam, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. I'm with Michael in that I feel the Parabek JSA was the only other time outside of All-Star Squadron that this guy had a good costume and good character development. Seemed the writers just didn't know what to do with him. Iron Monroe has this same problem as after Young All-Stars ended. No one really knew, knew what to do with him. Oddly enough, I discovered that both the Adam and Iron Monroe had a connection in that their children assumed the other hero was their father, poor damage in Manhunter. <laughs> so this begs the question, why do some heroes lend themselves to updates slash reinterpretations slash retcons while some heroes can, get, can't get that needed push into the spotlight? Um, I'm of the opinion that there is no, there are no bad characters. Right. I think I think if you uh, give a give a character to the right writer, they could do wonderful things with them. Oh yeah, and, and there's two ways to do it. You either just ignore kind of what happened before, but not contradict it and go forward with the character, or you kind of pull what I like to refer to as a Jeff Johns, and I mean that in a good way, in that you just completely top to bottom recreate the character. The Captain Cold that was in Jeff Johns' run on The Flash was not the Captain Cold that was in William Esner Loeb's run on The Flash or the one that was in The Silver Age. It was, a compl- it was a new character with the same names and a similar background. So some characters you can do that with. I think with The Atom, you, it, The Atom and Iron Monroe are two characters that you either get them or you don't. And if you don't get them, you kind of uh, not give them short shrift, but you don't let them live up to their full potential. There was an all-star comics 80-page giant in 99 Mm -hmm. that had a JSA story where the Adam's entire role was to be the angry short guy. (laughs) And it pissed me off because I knew there was a lot more to the character. But that writer apparently didn't care about that. You know, he didn't care about the Adam in the same way. And I have to agree with him about Iron Monroe. No one has known what the hell to do with that character. Right. I, I, I agree with what you're saying. I mean, that, that's kind of my assessment as well. Part, part of it, too, I think, why some heroes don't get that push that they need is when it comes to obscure characters, like your Iron Monroe, like your Damage, whatever, what they're waiting for is just the right passionate writer to come along. The, the writer that... Uh, that has a love for that character and, and is willing to not only pick them up, dust them off and try to do something with them, but also that has the ability to sell that idea to whatever respective company. You know, it's very easy to go, you know, why doesn't, you know, writer so-and-so, you know, I read some interview with writer so-and-so where they say that they love, you know, this character. Why the hell don't they do something with him? Well, you know, behind the scenes, Maybe they've pitched that idea a hundred times to Editor X, and Editor X keeps saying, nobody gives a fuck about that character, nobody will buy that book, and they don't let them do it. So you don't, you never know. But, you know, yeah. eventually, 
I'm of the opinion that, you know, if we all live long enough or comics last long enough, <laughs> that truly great characters, you know, that, that have greatness within them that just hasn't ever been fully realized, that, that their time is coming. It, it, it happens to all great characters eventually where somebody, you know, will do something with them. You know, I, I really do believe that because, you know, we've seen – you know, just here in the past few years, really, we've seen a lot of characters that many fans always thought, why doesn't somebody take this guy and make him as awesome as I think he could really be? We've seen that happen. I mean, just a couple examples are like uh, Catman in Secret uh-huh. Six. I've always thought that character had great potential, and finally it's being realized. Um, Steel. Now, I realize it's not the same guy. You know, now it's a Citizen Steel, which is some relation or other to the original Steel. But I always thought that was a cool character. I loved him in uh, Justice League of America, and I always thought he was a really cool because he's got he to me he's like a, an amalgamation of Captain America and the Six Million Dollar Man. You know how fucking cool yeah, is that? Very you much. know, <laughs> so you know, finally somebody's doing something with that character, and you know, I, the, the list goes on and on. But there there are a lot of great characters. You know, even characters that, you know, you, you mentioned Damage to some people, and Damage would be like, oh, God, you know. But I think Damage was cool. I, I enjoyed that book, and that's one of those characters I'm waiting for somebody to do something cool with him. I, I Well, Damage up. was part of that that attempt on DC's part around 93 and 94 to cultivate younger heroes. Because around that time, Robin got his own series, Superboy got his own series, The Ray got his own series, you had Anima, and then you had Damage. So right there, you had five characters. The fact that they didn't do a Teen Titans with those characters at all surprised the fuck out of me. Because that seemed like a no-brainer. Because they were all great characters to one extent. Well, I never read Anima, so I, I really don't have an opinion. <laughs> The only one I ever read was the one where I think it was Superboy, somebody from the Superman family guest starred, and I picked it up. Pretty yeah. pretty sure it was Superboy, but probably. But no, I loved the Ray, and uh, I haven't read Damage yet, but we're getting there. So. <laughs> Speaking of getting there, we've got a mountain of email. We yeah, need to No, no, I'm 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 not trying to. All right, our next one is from uh, John Wilson who uh, I've been uh, talking to quite a little bit through uh, Facebook lately. He's a really cool guy. He's a good guy. He hosts a podcast called Teenage Wasteland with Zach Henderson about Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah. So, fellow podcast. I just think it's amusing that, they, uh, that they've taken that name and... and- <laughs> just seeing as how I have a little bit of history with uh, of a sort with the... the- other podcast that uses that name. I just, I, I found it funny. Anyway, he writes, uh, you haven't been doing the email segment in your show lately, but here are some random thoughts in case you pick that up again. Damn it, how many episodes? We only missed, like, wow, like two episodes, and everybody jumped yeah, our yeah. shit about it. Like, Where's the email? You got something? <laughs> Jesus Christ, people. No, I'm just teasing, but no, we are continuing to read email, as, as you can hear. Yay! I'm just teasing you, John. Um, he says, so the Adam is a young guy who got picked on and decided to put on a costume and beat up bad guys. Is that a movie coming out this spring? Are you two looking forward to kick ass? Have you read the uh, Miller? 
I believe it's pronounced Miller, although it's yeah, it is Miller. It's spelled it's spelled Millar, but but it's pronounced. I'm Miller. tempted to say Millar just so people know who I'm talking yeah. about, as opposed to like I don't know, like Frank Miller or whatever. But anyway, uh, Miller Ramita book on which is based. Uh, I have not. I briefly fr- flipped through the first issue. I can't deny that the that the movie looks interesting. However. And oh, here we go. Here's Scott opening himself up to more hate mail. But I cannot fucking stand John Romita Jr.'s artwork. I'm sorry. I know he has his legions of devoted fans, and there's probably all kinds of people all across the face of the planet right now going, <gasps> "He doesn't like John Romita. You know, my God!" But you know, I just, I, you know, back in the day, I think he was a hell of an artist. But somewhere he got that weird, freaky style that he's got today, and I just can't stomach it. So. I'll uh, I'll disagree with you on that. I mean, I'm not going to argue about it because you know, because personal taste is personal taste, and you know, you're fucking wrong. So, oh, you know, why bother? You were about to say the same. I thing. I did say so. the same thing. You just didn't even <laughs> hear me. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But uh, I don't give a shit about this comic, and I don't give a shit about this movie. Oh, it is it is so far off my radar that I am surprised I even recognize the name. <laughs> I just, I just don't care. Isn't it Smart. basically just uh, like an average dude deciding that I can do that? I can be a superhero. Isn't that basically the premise of it? I mean, I honestly, yeah, I've not read it, so I don't know shit about it. So correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, and it's, it's very self-referential from what I've seen, and I like some of what Mark Miller has written. I thought he did a great run on Superman Adventures uh, back when that book was coming out. Mm-hmm. Loved that book. Uh, but I really just, I don't get him, I guess I should say. I mean, I've read Ultimates, I've read Ultimates 2, I enjoyed both of them for what they were, but, you know, I, I just don't care. I never read Wanted either, pretty much for the same reason. All right, I'm going to, once care. again, probably shock the piss. See, this is where I get nervous sometimes giving my opinion too much on this show because I don't want to put people off with with unpopular opinions, but... Please, somebody, somebody, please, I'm begging you. Somebody write in and explain to me what what is the big fucking deal with Wanted. Because I bought those for, (laughs) I'm pretty sure the price probably worked out to something like 20 cents a piece a while back when I bought this massive collection. And they were in, that Wanted series and all of the variants were in this collection, right? And I was like, wow, I keep hearing, you know, and this was at the time the movie was just about to come out. So I was like, I've got to read this because everybody says this is awesome. I read it and it literally turned my stomach. I was like, this is one of the worst comics I've ever read. What the fuck is the deal with this? I just didn't understand it. I didn't get what everybody else saw in it. It was just totally put me off. So please, somebody write in and tell me what the hell did I miss with that book that uh, everyone else seems to have gotten because... I was not impressed. <laughs> did you ever read uh, uh, Wanted? No, I did not read Wanted. I just don't care. Yeah. I really don't care. It, it, it's really interesting. Uh, this past decade, well, not decade, but the past like six or seven years has been this transition period with me in comics. Mm-hmm. And I've basically come out of it now. So... Now I'm I, I've kind of walked away from the majority of mainstream books these right. days. I'm focusing more on these back issues, 
But during that time, there were some books where I was like, ah, that sounds like interesting. And there were some books like Wanted that, you know, Wizard was creaming themselves over. And, you know, it's like everyone's like, ah, Mark Miller and J.G. Jones or whatever the artist's name was. You know, it's the most awesome thing ever. Look, they're they're making fun of superheroes. And I'm like, why the fuck is making fun of superheroes so damn Yeah, I'm tired of the entire... Parody, decon, uh, what do they call it? Deconstruct. Deconstruct. I'm, uh, how have we not done this to death at this point? I mean, there's been so many of the. I don't know. I feel like I'm being just way too negative, but in no, in no, short, I just, just it was just feel. not my thing. Uh, there's something. There's there's an audience that that book was intended for that clearly was not me because then, a lot of people loved it, praised it. You know, gave it all kinds of accolades, and I just walked away from it going, I just don't fucking get it, you know? And, and if you like it, as we've said a thousand times before, great. Right, yeah. I'm glad. You know, that's great. You know, I, I'm, I'm glad that you found something in it that you really loved. If you thought it was funny, if you liked Mark Millar's writing, if you liked the artwork, you know, I like John Romita Jr.'s artwork. I really do. I, I have for years now. But it's just not my cup of tea. I like his old stuff, you know, because I I don't want to give the wrong impression that I'm a hater, because I like his old stuff. But right around the time, and I'm thinking, you know, Daredevil: Born Again. No, 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 it was uh, Uh, Man Man Without Fear. Fear. Yes, Yes. that to me is where he, in my view of what art is, everybody, you know, art is a totally subjective thing to everybody. Yes. So in in Scott's view of what makes art, that's where he jumped the shark for me personally. There's something about that book that just really put me off art-wise. I mean, Electra's face looks like an anus. I mean, it just does. <laughs> the next time you look at that book and look at the way he drew her her like puckered up face. Look at that, and you won't be able to see it as anything but like a, a, a human head with a sphincter for his face is what it looks like. It's just fucking creepy. I was like, what am I looking at? So but, He seemed to adopt Miller's style exactly. and just couldn't shake exactly. it. Exactly, and I, don't, I never thought all that much of that style either. So, But I like his Spider-Man, so there you go. Well, I mean, like I say, I like the old stuff, you know, like uh, – you know, like Contest of Champions and stuff like that. I thought that was, Daredevil. Yeah, and his like, like Iron Man. Daredevil. I think his Iron Man stuff was Yeah, that was pretty cool. Beautiful I liked stuff. that. Anyway. I haven't read it, but I've seen it. So. We've got to get through these yeah. emails. <laughs> um, the next one is, uh, the, or, I'm sorry, continuing rather with John's, he says, uh, The Flash is time travel. Didn't we just uh, didn't we have just last issue the discussion on how he needed the treadmill to move through time, or was that just to transport the others? Now I remember bringing this up at the time, and you told me that this Flash did have the ability to move through time, and I'm not doubting you, but I'm just I'm just thinking I don't remember this Flash having that ability. I really don't. I thought he needed the cosmic treadmill. It, I really, you know. It, it, with how some writers would just give characters extra powers right. for the need of the plot, right. it's really hard to keep track yeah. of stuff like that. So, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's – see, I'm not you know, super knowledgeable about any particular incarnation of the Flash, so I don't know. I mean, the Cosmic Treadmill, I had thought 
was used more for moving between dimensions rather than specifically yeah. just time. So maybe yeah. they could time travel on their own, and, and the cosmic treadmill was more for the dimensional. I I really don't. I think it was also a, a focus for it as well. Right. Like you know you 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 know you know do you want to witness the birth of Christ or the red letter day in science? Right. <laughs> he says he goes on to say Vandal Savage's outfit. He must shop at the same store as Doctor Octopus. Green jumpsuits are us. <laughs> Good, I like that. He says, uh, "Are you sure this Hawkman isn't an alien? He has no nipples." And did the animosity between him and Star Spangled Kid come out of nowhere, or do I uh, do I need to go back and reread? I think it's just Hawkman being generally a prick to. Yeah, Hawkman is never, especially when Roy Thomas gets a hold of him. Hawkman is a very hard character to like, right? Just just in general, especially Infinity Incorporated. Yeah. You know where he is just the douchebag dad. Well, because coming up so, here shortly, he's you know he's got another character in the team that he starts giving a hard time to, seemingly for no reason at all. So I think it is just that he's generally just a disagreeable some bitch is what it comes down to. But if but if he tells you that that villain died uh, under under his own steam, you you have to agree with him that that villain died. <laughs> we all remember what happened. To the original Star Spangled Kid that they don't talk about because they're not allowed to because he asked too many goddamn questions. As far as the thing with no nipples, well, I, I think it was just a matter of they just didn't show. It was probably a comics code thing, but Santa Joe Schumacher Batman film. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> I mean, you look <laughs> you look at the Hulk, man. I mean, the Hulk didn't have. That's one of the reasons. You know, in, in all fairness, I think that's one of the reasons I never liked older interpretations of the Hulk as awesome as the art honestly really is it almost looked like a guy in a suit because he didn't have any nipples it just looks silly when you when you look at it that way and realize that he really should but I, I, more than like I'd be willing to put money on it. it was probably a comics code thing where even though it was a dude they still couldn't show nipples. there was probably like a probably. strictly no nipples it was policy either. It was either a comics code or self-censorship by the publishers right. themselves. Right. And I'm sure there was a meeting on it where the nipples were discussed. <laughs> I really want a recording of those meetings. So. All right. He says, uh, finally, I'm a, G a Golden Age a Green Lantern fan, and I've read uh, pretty much all of his old stories. I enjoyed your Green Lantern segment, but I thought he was a resident of Gotham City. Also, you didn't mention his rather inconsistent power set. Initially, he can travel through and is, is impervious to anything made of metal. Even though the walk-through walls power continued to be mentioned in the blurb at the opening page of each of his comics uh, for quite some time, it stopped being used rather, rather early, including in situations when it could have been really helpful. And being the master of metals eventually became... Uh, impervious to anything but wood. I'm pretty sure he got clonked on the head with wood at least once in every single issue. Well, it's like you and I commented on. I mean, what a shitty vulnerability to have yeah. back in the 40s where the entire goddamn world was made out of wood, you know? Yeah. Cars were made out of wood, for Christ's sake. I mean, how much would that suck? So... <laughs> 
I guess it's I don't know which would be worse, a vulnerability to wood or a vulnerability to anything yellow. So I mean, here you got a superhero that could be taken out by a custard pie for Christ's sake. It was ridiculous. No, because he could he could block the white whipped cream on top of the yellow custard pie, oh, and that God. would prevent it from hitting him. I think that's lemon meringue, dude. <laughs> you know what'd be awesome is to fight that that version of Green Lantern with the vulnerability to yellow, and just have a gun that shot lemon heads. That would be awesome. Ow, 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 my eye, stop it, stop it, oh, God, oh, I'm going to be over, and, like, the next morning, he shows up at Ferris Aircraft, and he's got all these, like, divot bruises uh, all over his face. <laughs> he's got welts. What the hell happened to you last night? You don't want to fucking know. <laughs> Shut up about it. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> he says, another great episode, guys. Looking forward to next week. Ah, uh, thank you, John. All right, the next one is from Dion Cottrell. Actually, we got two in a row from Dion, which is kind of awesome. Sweet. Another interesting episode, including the initial discussion uh, re- regarding Scott and Michael's monthly polls. The hype and excitement over Blackest Night were always probably too exaggerated to ever be real, such as comics and life. You can't keep keep escalating comics events forever and forever. It's too expensive for fans if nothing else, and it's past the peak with Blackest Night. Hopefully things will quiet down for a while as a result. Until next time, Dion. One, the price of new comics, even with discounts, is something most of us are struggling with, I think, in deciding which titles to keep and drop. Mediocre work for a dollar or two is bad enough. Uh, but it definitely forces things when we see three ninety nine and up titles becoming more common by the month. Life is too short. Anyway, so it's probably better to save the money for other things, whether comics, bills, or whatever. In that context, dropping Justice Society of America and JSA All-Stars is more than understandable. Willingham and Sturgis have definitely dropped the ball on several levels. Amen. Mm-hmm. Two, both of you hit the real pitfall for magic-oriented stories. When the writer can pull a solution out of a hat, any drama (laughs) built uh, through the course of the story is instantly diminished by the often two-pat contrivance. Likewise, when Hero A defeats Villain Z at the last possible moment with a never-before-cast spell, etc., I've enjoyed Doctor Strange over the years and one or two others, but in general, I don't tend towards titles that feature a heavy magical element. Other folks will, of course, feel the exact opposite way, but that's the reason diversity is an important factor in comics. I'll agree with yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that, 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 was a, that was a very well... Uh, well put together email as Dion's always are he's so. smart <laughs> we're dumb we're stupid gonna <laughs> mm-hmm. go get me some biscuits with some mustard on them mm-hmm. <laughs> oh okay <laughs> well we got another do you want to read the uh, go ahead and read the next one from Dion okay. as well uh, I'll do that too <laughs> I love Scott's impression of a Marvel Wookiee in the opener um I took Scott's out and actually put in a sample of, of Chewbacca. So. <laughs> Sorry. I figured it would sound better. It was a two, I pulled a two true freaks move, is, is, is I guess what I'm saying. Uh, like, you know, whenever they say con, here in the background, even on Back to the Bins. What are you talking about? I don't know what I'm talking about. And, of course, the MacGyver reference. Ha! I admit to being one of those who will miss the hostess ad reenactments. 
Well, we may do a podcast. We about just it. We might do that. It. I'm serious as a heart attack. Because yeah, we could knock like 16 of those out in a night. You know, <laughs> I, I I could be dead wrong about this, but I don't believe that the Thor one ever showed up in a DC book, or at least not a DC book that we'll be covering on this show. This show, God, I can't talk tonight. And that one. With the dingling? Yeah, that Oh, my God. If you've never, if you don't know what I'm talking about, when Thor fights the space hillbillies, you th- if you've thought any of the ones we've covered so far were funny or really, really fucking strange, that one takes the cake. It's, it's right. literally Thor and his dad and all his friends are on their flying Viking ship that moves through space, which is odd enough to begin with. Then they end up having a space battle. And I'm not making this shit up with a bunch of space hillbillies that are in a floating space. I think they're in a, like a Winnebago or something. <laughs> and they have like co- they have like rifles like like Jed Clampett had at the beginning of the Beverly Hillbillies, but they're what ray guns. And I'm like, oh, this God. is the f- most fucked up story I've ever read. It, it's so bizarre, but it's I, hysterical. I'm just saying, we will not be able to do Spider-Man steals a snatch without <laughs> the entire. Well, there's even a oh. reference in that Thor story that if you read it the right way. Makes it sound like Thor is basically saying, you inbred fucks. It's really funny. So, yeah, I'm, I would love to do that. Here's hoping you find something suitably fun to replace that segment when the time comes. Until next time, Dion, one, the Golden Age slash Earth 2 Adam has a costume, such as it may be, that's fairly typical of the time. Few Golden Age characters, particularly superheroes, were especially thought out. Most were, as we all know, cobbled together out of deadline necessity, i.e. the need to fill an increasing number of pages, or a desire to cash in on the superhero craze, including all sorts of knockoffs. In only a few cases do the comics make really make sense costumes. or look... Sorry. In only a few cases do the costumes really make sense or look all, all the great if we actually sit down and think about it. As much as I love the character, I can't deny it's silly for Superman to wear shorts on the outside of his leotards. People take that away, I'm going to be fucking mad. I mean, that's just part of his costume. Every once in a while, about every, I don't know, seven years or so... I see in some fanzine or trade publication or something somewhere where the hot new artists of the day have been commissioned by DC to submit new versions of Superman's outfit, like to uh, try to update his look. And the ones that don't have the, the underpants on the outside always look horrible to me. I, I think it's just part of his thing. Yeah. It, 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 it's, it's, it's a sense of tradition more than anything else. I think he he can get away with it He's more easily than any other character can. I think any other character, even ones that have been around as long as like say Batman, I think even him, there's there's a inherent. You look at it and it's oh that's just silly. He's got his underpants on the outside, but Superman, I don't know. To me, it has never looked silly because he's got his underpants on the. It's just that's Superman. That's just how he looks. You know, I th- yeah. I think if if that were ever you know really seriously taken away, no matter how awesome a new costume might be, I think without that, it loses something. It it loses something of those um, circus acrobat style origins you know i I just that that's his costume that's just how he looks because you know a few years ago batman had that costume where they they took away the the trunks 
And it was just like the all gray unitard looking thing. I thought it looked awesome. I thought it looked really cool. Yeah, they, they kind of put it more in line with what the movies were doing yeah. with just like an all black look. Yeah. Uh, and I think the only film that really nailed it was Batman Forever, oddly enough. I think the costume in Batman Forever is the best looking bat costume of that entire film series. I, yeah, I liked that one. Uh, I, I just, I just think it looked, mo- it looked like '70s Batman on screen. Mm-hmm. It really did. I, I, I was very, very happy with that. Anyways, moving on to his second point, I've never been a huge fan of Vandal Savage, though the concept behind the character is an intriguing one. In fact, the only time I really found the character particularly resonant was Marv Wolfman's, Marv Wolfman's, excuse me, revamp during his early 1980s run on Action Comics. As you'll recall, he was cast as a sort of suit and tie baddie, a la the post-crisis 1985 Batman, uh, Lex Luthor, <laughs> Batman, I'm leaving that in. And it seemed both fresh and compelling, at least at the time. I don't know what that Savage is particularly relevant these days, but perhaps his relative dormancy will lead to a similarly fresh revival at some point soon. I got two things to say uh, to this, and that sounded a lot harsher. I got two things to say to this. <laughs> no, um... One, uh, when when Marv Wolfman did that revamp uh, in Action Comics and, and Vandal Savage was the bad guy, the only reason Vandal Savage was the bad guy was originally he wanted to use Lex Luthor, but Carrie Bates's revamp of Luthor kind of won out on that right. one. So, and then Wolfman and Byrne eventually got to do that Luthor after Man of Steel. And two, I think Savage has been used very well in certain books. I thought those early issues of the Wally West Flash I liked him in, because mm-hmm. it seemed like that's an out-of-nowhere villain to really be taking on Wally. And during Justice League Task Force, he was one of the main bad guys where they were showing the fact that he tracks down his descendants to use as organ donors, basically. And keeps them in like suspended animation, or you know, like in a in a, in a drug induced coma. But more recently, everyone just wants to, you know, it's like he eats people, and that's his big thing. And I think that's <laughs> stupid. I think that's really stupid. Where did that come out of? Uh, that came out of it was it was a lot, and, and and I love her writing otherwise. But Gail Simone does it a lot uh, in both Villains United. And I think he was in Birds of Prey for a couple of oh, okay. uh, issues. Yeah, I don't remember so. the, the thing with him being a cannibal, but I thought he was used to really good effect in several episodes of uh, Justice League Unlimited, especially the one oh, where, uh, where Superman... He's shit crazy. Yeah, was when Superman... <laughs> Uh, accidentally winds up in the far, far future, and uh, and Savage was the only other guy that was left alive. That was a really good episode. I, I, I blame myself for everything. <laughs> you hungry? I mean, <laughs> no. And, and it was voiced by Phil Morris, who was King Faraday in the uh, New Frontier animated film. But he's also more known to comic book fans if you watch Smallville. He plays uh, Martian Manhunter. So uh, and, he, and he has such a great quality to his voice. I I almost met him. I almost got you know went up to his table at Dragon Con, Dragon Con a couple of years ago. But the person that was responsible for his side of the the room, it's this you know because they split up those duties of the Dragon Con staff. She was a heinous bitch, and it just put a real bad taste in my mouth because I'm literally fucking standing there. There is nobody between me and him. There is nobody waiting to talk to him. 
and I was willing to go up and pay this man money to sign my New Frontier Absolute Edition, and this woman grabs my arm and says, are you are you wanting to talk to him? I'm like, yeah. I was just, she goes, you got to go outside, you got to buy a photo, and you got to stand in line, like everybody else. And I was just like, fuck it, and I walked away. Yep. That's what I would <laughs> do as well. No, no, no. I should have just fucking balled her out in front of God and everybody. But but then I'm the crazy guy at the time. <laughs> Sometimes um, it's fun to be the crazy guy at the time, though. Yeah, until they, you know, take me out and rip my badge off my neck, which would probably hurt. Um, <laughs> the Green Lantern subplot is beginning to heat up nicely in issue number 65. And, of course, you have to love the note to readers that promises more next issue. I'm with both of you in missing those notes, including references to other past issues in modern comics. There's something about breaking the fourth wall in those moments that has always pleased me as a young reader. It made you feel like you were in on something, particularly if you owned or could buy this or that issue referenced by the editor. It's hard to describe, I guess, though I think most longtime comics readers understand the feeling. Amen. I, well, I'm going to take exception to one part portion of that, is that, honestly, I never really liked the fourth wall element of it. You know, like... What what I like was strictly the note, you know that that you know if if Batman is saying, "Gee, remember when we uh, pounded the shit out of that guy?" and then you get the little <laughs> note that says, "This pounding the shit happened in issue number sixty three." I like that. What I what I never really did like was when it would say things like, you know, "Stand the man again," chiming in to tell you, dear reader, blah blah blah, and you're like, Jesus, you know, I just want the note because it did. Like he says, it did break that fourth wall, but in in my instance, it would pull me right out of the story. Yeah. Whereas, strangely, if all it said was, for more on this, see, you know, amazing blah, 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 that didn't. I don't know why, I don't know what the difference is, other than the editor wasn't really talking to me so much as it was just more information being presented, if you see the yeah. difference. Now, Spider-Man has been doing that recently, where they actually have, like, footnotes, mm -hmm. but most of them kind of fall apart and are like that... You remember the movie Airplane? Yeah. Where you had the people going, the white zone is for people unloading and unloading of passengers. No parking. And then you would have the man come on and say that, and then they, they would argue... right. Between each other, that's kind of what it turns into. Yeah, I've seen that in some comics. And I, I, it's just I think like, it's kind oh, of stupid, God, I don't to give be honest a shit. Yeah. You're, you know, okay, stop chasing Stan Lee. You're not going to get there. <laughs> You're not. I'm sorry. No. No, I know a lot of people, they're like, well, we're going to be like Stan, and we're going to talk to the readers. You know, when we can see what shitty things you say on message boards, you know, it's... I'm sure if we could hear what Stan Lee's opinions really were back in the 60s, he wouldn't have been as popular as he was. We just got to see the face. And when you get to see the face and the ass of uh, of most modern editors and writers and such, it kind of takes... It just takes all the steam out of it to me. <laughs> but that's it for Dion's, too. And, and as always, Dion, thank you so much for writing in. It's really awesome. Yes. Well, we got another one from uh, Jose Rivera. He says, a quick question. He says, hey, guys, just finished episode 10. I also noticed the inconsistency between the Injustice Gang and the Injustice Society. What the hell happened? 
I will admit this incarnation of the group really had a shitty plan, but this combination of villains isn't exactly Taster's choice either. If I had to pick a truly threatening version of the Injustice Society, uh, then I would choose the Johnny Sorrow-led team in JSA. Now that was a collection of villains. But I'm getting sidetracked here. Any explanation on why they were dubbed the Injustice Gang, or is it just another odd naming like when the Justice Society was the Justice Battalion for some strange reason? Jose Rivera. Um, I got nothing on this. I, I honestly just chalked it up to, you know. Yeah, we talked about it. We've talked about it in a couple past yeah. episodes as well. So, you know, it's basically they probably just, you know writer for getting the name like when you know when uh when stan lee referred to bruce banner as bob banner <laughs> because he just couldn't remember the character's peter, name peter palmer that, yeah yeah and though that was retconned that his name is robert bruce banner so whatever oh god <laughs> you don't have to fix everything people so our next one is uh from dion cottrell again he's got uh he says I'm finally caught up with my emailing, I think. Kudos to you guys for keeping the episodes basically on time through the holidays. Hey, we did our best. That was tough. He says, uh, you're really established, uh, you've really established forward momentum in the early going. And it's to your credit that the show has been so hiccup-free during the first ten weeks. Until next time, Dion. P.S., I do miss the regular roll call in the issues themselves. I suspect they found it a bit too Silver Age in the 1970s hip. Well, they, they just kind of come and go is the problem. Yeah. Because <laughs> for a while there we thought... Did we remember? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, see, for a while there we thought that they uh, they had abandoned it, but then uh, either this episode, either this issue or the next issue has them back again. So He's got a few points here. Number one, he says, I'm sure I'll have plenty to say about Joe Staten as we go forward, but let me say yet again that I think uh, he's the best Justice Society artist of the era. Amen. Keith Given was beginning to find his footing, no doubt, but Staten simply had it during this period. Bob Layton's inks didn't hurt any either. I admit to being a fan of Layton's art since his original run on Iron Man with David, uh, with David Mistralini. Yes, I love that stuff. Uh, either way, Staten's an artist who's a favorite for many individual fans, yet somehow never quite got or gets the same attention as others of his generation. John Byrne and Walt Simonson are prime examples, I think. Absolutely. I, you know, I, I yeah. really seldom hear his name brought up, and almost invariably when I do, it's in connection with Green Lantern, which, you know, that's fine. That's extraordinary work as well, but... Man, I, I like his stuff from this period. I mean, I, I like him yeah. anyway. I, he's he's one of those guys that, thankfully, e even today, I think he's still got it. I th think he's a great yeah. artist. But, yeah, it does. It's sad. And, well, again, I know I've mentioned this before. I, I'm serious. One of these days, I'm going to really try to make it here sometime in the, in the relatively near future. I really do want to have a show with, uh, you know, get, get some guys together and, and talk about the unsung and quote-unquote forgotten talents of comics, particularly yeah. artists. And I know his name is going to come up because there's just a bunch of them that I think deserve much more accolades than they ever got. And Joe Staten is right near the top of that list. I love this guy's art, you know? And, uh, and I just don't hear him mentioned enough. Anyway, uh, point number two, he says, however cheesy... 
the generational slash legacy aspect of Superman's speech to Power Girl in uh, All-Star Comics number 66, page 4, was a welcome addition to this issue. I have to say uh, that the one way in which DC has always outstripped Marvel is precisely in their focus on passing the mantle. Amen. Well, it was. <laughs> yeah, not not well, to be negative. Yeah. You know, I, I know we beat this dead horse, but uh, I, I agree with you absolutely, Dion, that that was a hallmark of DC. And I think that they have made a colossal error recently with backpedaling on two of their more um, popular and visible characters, notably The Flash and Green Lantern. I, I think it was just a, a horrible mistake and a horrible disservice to the characters and to their fans. I realize that there are legions of Hal Jordan and Barry Allen fans. However... You know, I, I think that extraordinary measures and extraordinary stories have been done over the last 20 years to finally establish both um, Wally West and uh, Kyle Rayner as the guy, you know, and, and put to rest the legend. I, I felt like those characters had finally stepped out of the shadows of their predecessors. And just about the time that they finally did step out and were finally accepted by maybe not everybody, but the majority of people that these were the guys, then all of a sudden the original fucking guys come back. And it, it's just – I think it's insulting. I really do. You know? I, I, I think that there's a time where you just have to – you know, for one thing, real life, it, it doesn't work that way. You know? I mean – there, there are people, you know, I don't know, say an actor, for example, who, who will have a famous father that people yeah. will maybe they'll never quite get over the fact that, you know, their their dead father was a better actor or whatever. But eventually they'll come around to uh, like the new guy. Well, you know, you don't see that dead actors, you know, come back to life to take back the mantle. And it's fucking stupid. You know, I mean, I, I realize it's comic books and nobody ever stays dead. But still, it, it not only is nice, the generational aspect, but it, it adds a little bit of real life to the thing where the mantle's passed and the, and the, and the other guy just, you know, he's dead. And, and you move the for, – the, the for, the, I can't talk tonight. You move the story forward. And that's one of my big reasons why I'm so do- totally dis enchanted with current comics is that I feel like at least the last 20 years of progress that we've made and I really felt like we were making progress with a lot of your top tier characters like Superman, Flash, Green Lantern Spider-Man has suddenly been set back 20, at least 20 years and that sucks, that totally sucks, so anyway I'd add something, but I pretty much agree with everything you said. I just would have probably said the word fuck. (laughs) Continuing, he says, uh, the Roy Thomas era uh, makes that theme of uh, central piece of the Earth 2 puzzle, but clearly this uh, All-Star Comics run is wanting to tap into that vein. Note, for example, the introduction of younger characters like Robin and Power Girl to the team. The speech is a bit comic booky, yes, but worth noting nonetheless. 
Absolutely. Number three, what's wrong with Johnny Thunder, Michael, besides his bow tie? Surely you can't expect uh, expect to tease us that way without some payoff. <sighs> I just... There, there are characters I like, there are characters I hate, and there are characters I hate because I just don't... I, I just don't get why they were there outside of somebody's, you know, sentimental attachment to the character. Every time a story in All-Star Squadron would focus on Johnny Thunder, it would be like an issue I just didn't care mm-hmm. for. I just don't... I, I, I understand why people like him. I'm just not one of us. I'm sorry. It's just, it's, it's just, it's just, it's just, uh, it's okay. I don't it's think it's, right. I don't think it's quite as vitriolic as your hatred of Jimmy Olsen, but, uh, a lot of that, I'm going to fess up. A lot of that was just me kind of just playing to the fans. I don't, oh, okay. I don't like the character. I really don't, but it's not like I have some like deep seated hatred that I just must see him die. A lot of it's just me having fun. Well, I, I don't really have that either, but at the same time, it's just Johnny Thunder is like the one member of the team. He's kind of like the Ray Palmer Adam. I, I see why he's he, he's there. I see why he's iconic, but I just I just don't like I'll him. give you a little peek behind the curtain of how I like to write reviews of comics. I think it's a lot of fun, and, and I found that this formula, at least for me and the way I like to write this formula works for me very well, or at least it seems to. If you can find the dumbass of the issue and focus on him and make him the butt of jokes through your entire review, people find that really funny. For some reason, when when you you know, and, it's, and it just worked for me when I was reviewing um, Superman Family to pick on Jimmy Olsen every single issue and it just yeah. it worked and people found that really really funny even people that liked the character still found it amusing that you know I was able to point out what a complete waste of space he was in those issues so um, but Dion goes on about uh, Johnny Thunder he says I admit the uh, character isn't the greatest in comics, but I don't find him that obnoxious or abrasive. Is it the magic-oriented origin power set, the, char- the character's design and or personality, so- A bit. something else, all of the above? In all seriousness, I do hope you'll elaborate for listeners' benefit at some point, perhaps when Johnny appears in a JSA Earth 2 story, as I always appreciate your and Scott's insights into individual characters. I'm going to race to my co-host's defense in this one and say, you know, I, I understand exactly where he's coming from with not liking a character, but not quite being able to pinpoint why. Because I, yeah. I mean, all of you out there listening, you, all of you guys must have at least one character somewhere in comics that's it, it just... When he pops up in an issue, he or she pops up in an issue, you're just like, oh, Christ. You know? For me, it's like when, when the X-Men meet up with the goddamn Star Jammers. God, I hate that shit. I, I just, I don't know what it is. It's not like they're horrible characters or anything. It, you know, the Star Jammers, the Shi'ar Empire, and all those assholes, I just, I, I, it just doesn't do it for me. And I, I can't pin it down because it's not like... I hate any of the characters or anything. It's just whenever it comes up, I have the same reaction, which is always like, oh, fuck, here we go. You know, and I slog through that storyline waiting for it to pick back up. 
and I just, you know, I think that everybody has their, you know, their whatever, Johnny Thunder or, or Jimmy Olsen in comics, where when that character gets the spotlight, you're just like, oh, fuck, you know? So... If you can explain it better, better, more power to you. But I think it's, yeah. it's that simple, really. All righty. Next one is from Joshua Baker. Hey, Josh. What's up? Actually, that's what he says. What's up? <laughs> uh, quality stuff. Love the reviews on the JSA. You've got me interested in a book I probably never would have checked out myself. Well played. <laughs> now, in your opinions, would this be a book that I could read with my four-year-old son? He likes the new Super Friends comic, which is obviously aimed towards his kids his age. But this doesn't sound over-the-top violent or too sexually suggestive unless it's viewed by perfs. <laughs> but whenever I can get the boy to check out the funny books, I'll do it, baby. You're doing a great job. Keep it up, Josh Baker. Um, I don't see why not. Well, I, I sent him a, an email back, and this is just what I wrote. I wrote, uh, I wrote, uh, hey, Josh. I said, uh, I would say absolutely. I will caution you that there might be uh, the occasional hell. I can't remember, but... Uh, while these tales are not Spidey super stories, uh, they were a product of the 70s and still primarily aimed at kids. Uh, I would say that you're pretty safe with these. Think Brave and the Bold, and that's about the level of violence and what. And I, and I think that's pretty much true, don't you? Yeah. yeah. I will agree with that. I, You know, it's... Yeah, there really isn't too many people throwing themselves at each other sexually. It's not, you know... I, I think some of the more subtle emotional underpinnings to the stories. You know, like, you know, we're, we're coming up on a character dealing with the fact that he lost his job. Right. You know, I don't think a four-year-old's going to get that, whereas I fucking understand it all too well. <laughs> so, not now, thankfully, but I've been in that position. Right. Where, you know, you're just like, God, what am I going to do? <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, it's got superheroes and big supervillains, and I think the kid would like the Middle Earth story. Just because it's, you know, what did you call them? Boogerman. What kind of creature? Boogerman. So there you go. I mean, and that's caught on. By the way, I saw in some later emails that people are actually now referring to them to the as the Boogerman. If I see that shit wind up on Wikipedia, I want a cut. God damn it! I want my acknowledgement. I want to. I want to see an old of the fashion. free website. Well, no, I don't. I don't mean monetarily. I, I mean, I just I want to see like oh, a okay. footnote saying uh, Boogerman, you know, reference was invented by this <laughs> asshole, Scott H. Gardner. All righty, credit where credits due. God damn it! Yeah, well, it's like I heard Jerry Conway say recently. You know, I'd rather money, but I'll take credit. So. <laughs> uh, okay, we got another one from John Wilson here. He says, "Random question." What is it with you and the questions, dude? Okay, anyway, he says, If I were to wish to obtain uh, an encyclopedic understanding of all things Starman, would you suggest I read the Star-Spangled Kid appearances as well? John M. Wilson. Wow, that w that's a tough one. That's really a tough one because my natural inclination would be to say, Hell yeah, because I like that character a whole hell of a lot. Yeah. However... Being complete, and now I assume, by the way, that you're speaking of Sylvester Pemberton, the the original Star Spangled Kid, because not not to spoil too much, but there would later be another character by that name. Um, in all fairness, if you're if you're talking strictly in his relation to Starman and the Starman legacy, and eventually Jack Knight and all that, he's pretty peripheral. Yeah, I, I would say yeah. that. Too. Do you agree? 
Yeah, because you know when uh, the only connection between the two characters was the fact that he got the the, the cosmic rod for a little while. Right. I don't think there were any earlier stories where they were hanging out and having adventures together. Robinson picks up on that mm-hmm. and plays with it a little bit. Right. But it's it, yeah, I, I, you know, if you, I, I think basically if you read old Starman, I mean, uh, Star Spangled Kid comics, you're going to get a lot of stories of Star Spangled Kid and Pat Dugan kicking some Nazi ass. Right. Well, I, mean, I would I would say if if you just you know John, I mean John, if you just. Uh, read through this stuff, you know, the all-star stuff that we're covering right now, and then eventually um, Infinity Inc., which we will also be covering down the road, I think you're covered for Star Spank. Okay. Yeah. It's all I've ever read. I've never read any of his... Uh, uh, G- yeah, exactly. I've never read any of that stuff. I think the only other thing I've read prior to all-star was when he came back in the pages of Justice League. Other than that, I mean, I pretty much discovered the Star Spangled Kid right here with, you know, with number 58 of, uh, of All-Star. And, uh, you know, everything I know about him and everything I, I really love about the character was in, you know, this title and then eventually Infinity Inc. And uh, he really steps up in Infinity Inc. I, I really liked the, the man he became in that series. Yes. I thought he was a fantastic character. So, yeah, check that stuff out. But, I mean... But but to answer your question though, in relation to Starman, if that's all you're you're interested in is the Starman angle, then he no. I mean, he's really just a footnote in that legacy because they're not related in any way. He he was just part of the legacy through the use of the uh, the cosmic rod and the cosmic converter belt. That that's really his relation to that. That's to that. Uh, whatever the hell. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All righty. The next one, uh, second to last one for this episode, as we have g- gone on over an hour, but we're really trying to, to get through the emails that you've sent because we're really dedicated into Absolutely. reading each and every one. Uh, this is I'm going to pronounce it Daniel. Uh, if it's pronounced another way, uh, Mr. Gibson, just, just let us know. Uh, though... Frankly, after this opening sentence, I don't know if I care. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm just kidding. It says from possibly your youngest listener, I'm 23. You old farts. Hey, 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 hey. Yeah, you know, that's great. You can do that. How was it three years ago when you couldn't buy alcohol? Anyways, <laughs> oh, zinger. <laughs> uh, Despite my age and buying current comics, I'm a fan of the older stories, and I'm really enjoying the show. I am hearing more ki- people like ten years younger than me, uh, like saying that. I had actually somebody tell me that they 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 wish they could have been reading comics when when I was a kid and when you were a kid. Well, you know, not to sound whatever, but you know, while there are. You know, obvious uh, things about getting older, you know, that, that suck. I actually, I feel sorry for people that are too young to have experienced certain things in life. Probably the yeah. big one that I always point out is Star Wars fans that were not alive when Star Wars came out. And I'm talking Star Wars, the original Star Wars in 1977. I don't care if you're the biggest Star Wars freak in the world and you know 
tons more about it than I do, trivia-wise and all that. If your ass wasn't in a theater seat in 1977 watching that movie, you got no cred with me. To a certain... <laughs> so I have no cred well, you know, you. you know what I'm saying. I mean, well, I saw Return. I, I saw Jedi right. in the theater, so there you go. But, you know, so in that same sort of, you know, poking fun at you aspect, I, I feel sorry for people that get into an era like this that I lived through because it, it was just as awesome as you're probably imagining it was to be in on the ground floor of the shit. And also keep in mind that, you know, a lot of this stuff, you know, I discovered through back issues myself, but thankfully, you know, I was able to, to catch up to a point to where I'm not sure exactly where it happened, but at some point, you know, I, I then fell into getting them as they were actually coming out, which was pretty awesome. But, uh, yeah, I mean, but you know, everybody everybody has their their thing like that in comics. I mean, you know, it's something that you might be into today. You know, just imagine, you know, twenty thirty years from now, you'll be able to be telling people, "Oh, yeah, I was in the ground floor of that thing." You know, when it happened, and oh, it was you know, so it's all cyclical. Well, I, I've long felt that the main problem with pop culture today is that our generation learned the lessons of the baby boomers too well. You know, baby boomers don't want to let go of anything. Right. Any, anything of their music, anything of their movies, you know, anything. They will hold on to it and, you know, like it's like it's Linus in that, in that blanket. <laughs> and our generation has learned that lesson to the point where two of the big films last year were Transformers and G.I. Joe. Right. So I don't think the current generation has really gotten a chance to have something of its own because the last... Two things that I can think of that people 10 years younger than me and below really had to themselves were Power Rangers and Pokemon. You know, that was their thing. That was their huge thing to get into. Power Rangers, when those figures hit, I worked at a a department store called James Way, and those figures were gone within nanoseconds when they hit the shelves. Except the green one for some reason. I have no idea why. (laughs) But, uh, but yeah, I, I just kind of feel bad that we keep, you know, that the, that the powers that be keep shoving what we like down these people's throats instead of, like, I had a chance to, getting a chance to know Wally West and Kyle Rayner. Right. Where now it's like, no, it's got to be Barry and Hal. But uh, Daniel con- continues, I learned about the JSA from DCUGuide.com and quickly fell in love with their long, rich history. After putting it off, I decided to check out your show recently and have to say I may have came for the JSA, but I'm staying for the ads. <laughs> also, I keep finding myself either laughing at or nodding to your guys' commentary. My only gripe has to be that between Tales of the JSA, Back to the Bins, and the other podcasts I listen to, I'm spending a mint on hunting down back issues. <laughs> Join the fucking yeah. club, dude. <laughs> Keep up the good work, Daniel. Daniel, I've got two words for you. 50 cent bits. Yep. It'll, it'll save you. It'll save mm-hmm. you. You'll fall prey to Murphy's Law of Comic Book Buying, which is if you find issues 1, tw- 1 through 23 of Trash Man in a 50 cent bin, but issue 9 is missing, you're going to pay the total of what you paid for all of those issues to get that one issue. It's sad because it's so, so true. It totally <laughs> is. Because I have put together a collection of Suicide Squad, you know, the, the 80s series. I lack three issues. And I am determined I am not spending... I have, So far, I have assembled that entire collection 
for less than you know for fifty cents or less an issue. Lack three issues, and I, it's like I know I'm not I'm not doing that shit. I'm not going to spend you know three or four bucks on those last three issues. I'd be like fuck it, I'll just CBR them <laughs> because I'm determined. Because that ha- it, like you're saying that happens to me every single time. I'll get to like those last couple of issues, and it's like. You, you know it, the the temptation to just shell out, you know, yeah, just to complete it is is always there. But I'm like, nope, I've, I've had it with that shit. I said if I was going to collect this title, I was doing it on the cheap, and god damn it, I'm doing it on the cheap, or I'm just going to have a hole, you know. But uh, <laughs> you know, with this, this was another one of those ideas I was going to run past you for a show idea sometime. But would this seem horribly pretentious, uh, pretentious or does it sound like? It actually might be kind of cool, maybe even helpful to people. We do have a lot of younger listeners. And, you know, not to brag or anything, but I really pride myself on my knowledge and my ability to get a good deal on comics. And it just comes from, if nothing else, pure fucking tenacity. I, I am a voracious hunter of comics. And I, I know where to go and, and how to look and how to bargain, basically. And I just wonder, would that make for an interesting episode of one of our myriad of podcasts to just do a whole, whole show devoted to where do I we go should, to find cheap comics? We should do a episode of Back to the Bins called The Field Guide to Comic Book Collection. Yeah. I think that's an excellent idea. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm on board with that, too, because I've got my own tips and tricks, too. Mm-hmm. And stuff like that. So you're more of a you're more of a regular hunter than I am. But in my day, when I was you know hunting down collections and stuff, which I haven't been able to do the past couple of years, you, you 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 just find your 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 little tricks and your and your sources, and just you you just realize that if you're persistent enough, that's right. what I was looking for. Persistent, persistent exactly. enough. You will find it, and you will find it cheap. But anyway, we are so far off topic on this. I got the next one, right? All right, last email we got for this episode is from Frankie Adiego, who we haven't heard from for a while. So uh, that's pretty awesome. He says, guys, he says, while I see what you're saying about uh, what I call the hipster doofuses, I do find it rather elitist. I know Scott's not serious about wanting to beat up some kid reading a manga, I'll come back to that. But if he looks down on that, how is that any different from some jock or punk or whatever looking down on him for reading a comic book in his youth? You're right. It's probably not really any different. It's it's my prejudice. I think it is. I fully – all right. Do you, you think it is different? I, I think it's different. Not. It's not too different, but what you're – it's like comparing apples to oranges at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, us looking down on, and I don't think it really is us looking down on. I honestly feel that way. It's just we don't like a particular thing, and we're poking fun at the fandom associated with right. it. You know, it's the same thing if you know you're not re- you're into Star Wars, but you, you hate Star Trek, so you're going to poke fun at the Trekkies. But you're both coming from a level playing field, there. right? You know, you're both geeks on some level or another, and geek geekdom is is a family. It's a very very dysfunctional family. Right. 
It, but it's a family, and we can argue with each other all day long. But if some fucking jock asshole comes up and starts giving one of our shit, that's when we need to rally together. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's, you know, you're so reading my mind in that because, you know, I'll be honest, the first time I read this email, um, I, I had a certain stance on it, and, and I, I felt a certain way about it. But rereading it, I, you know, he, he's absolutely right to call me out on some of this because ultimately something I've been calling for for a while now is exactly what you said that we do need to get over our I'll call it infighting for lack of a better yeah. term and, and well he well, I'll call it what what Frankie called it, elitism because we actually did an episode on, on two true freaks talking about what I dubbed geek elitism because that fucking shit really does bother me and when I find myself doing it I get mad at myself because I do it a lot and I, I don't mean to do it and I think all of us do I think that all geeks to yeah. a certain degree have this thing where every once in a while we look at another fan another geek and go wow at least I'm not like that fucking guy and ultimately, I call bullshit on that. If you're into comics or Star Wars or Star Trek or any geeky thing, you need to acknowledge at the core of your being that you really are not any different than that fucking nut that wore her Star Trek uniform to court. You're really not. Because yeah, while it's, 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 <laughs> there are degrees, ultimately, what I want to see in the in the geek fandom community is what you were calling for, Michael. We need to have unity that we yeah. we might it, – it's like siblings, you know? Yeah, you, it, you might pick on each other. You might make fun of each other. You might hold the guy and give him a noogie from time to time. But God damn it, when the jocks come knocking and, and picking on the little guy, you know, for, for reading his funny books and or whatever, we need to all pull together and and defend our own. And yeah, I mean, it's it's like I can argue with like my sister Jane and I fought like cats and dogs mm -hmm. would always, but it, you know, if anybody was giving her shit, it'd be like me up in that dude's face because, or you know, that was hypothetical because it never happened. But that that was how I felt. It's like we can fight amongst ourselves because we're family. We're always going to have that dynamic. We're always going to have there, you know. It's the, you know, I have what I jokingly refer to as the grand unified geek theory. Mm -hmm. That if you, that if you boil down the essences of what makes a person a particular type of geek, Star Wars, Star Trek, mm -hmm. you know, Harry Potter, uh, Twilight, even when you when you boil that down and you and you ask them very specific general sociological questions, they're all in it basically for the same reason. Mm -hmm. And have similar things in their background that drew that 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 either pushed them or drew them to what they are into, and they may be that guy that is fifty-five years old, lives in his parents' basement, and complains about the fact that his dad says he can't collect comics anymore, and that's kind of sad. But at the end of the day, I'm going to be a fifty-five-year-old guy looking at all the comics in my house. I hope to be a 55-year-old guy, at least. <laughs> um, Keep your shit up. You won't make it, dude. Exactly. Um, but uh, but I hope to be that guy that's like, man, I've got a lot of comic books. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I get exactly what Frankie is saying, and, and he goes on a little more, and we're gonna, mm -hmm. we'll probably have more to say. But I, I get what he said that it's elitist, but at the same time, you know, 
when you see someone I'm sorry, the younger people especially can be completely and utterly disrespectful, and I sound like an old man saying that, but can be completely and utterly disrespectful of what came before them, and I know right. because I used to be a young kid that was completely and utterly disrespectful right. to what came before me. And with age comes a certain bit of perspective. Right. And I think I'm so glad you didn't you say will... great responsibility. I would have had to smack you, tell us smack you. <sighs> <laughs> or next 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 Sunday, you're getting into the car with me. I'm starting up the car, and all of a sudden, there's a Gibbs slap on the back of the head. Um, but uh, you had that coming. I can't remember why, but you had that coming. <laughs> but you know, it, it, it's just you know, as I get older as a fan, I realize how much we all are the same. But that doesn't stop me from going, Jesus Christ, you like that, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, this next part is going to inspire just as much, uh, just as much discussion. I think he says the problem I have with this geek against the world's thing is the question of what qualifies something as a geek thing. I mean, I always hear geeks talk about Batman or Star Wars, uh, and those were huge box office successes, which tells me. That between the 70s and the 90s, plenty of jocks and hipsters must have honestly enjoyed getting two hours of them, though I'm sure they don't spend much time reading the comics or books uh, published by DK with diagrams of the Batmobile or the Death Star. Okay. I, I, I agree with you to a certain degree. Here's my problem with that. And, and I want younger listeners to write in and give me their take on this because I could be dead wrong. And if I am, I really want to know it. But I have a feeling, I have a, just a, a, a gut impression that the world is different today for, for young geeks growing up than it was when Michael and I were coming up. Because I will freely admit, and this is embarrassing and painful for me to dig back to my childhood and, and admit, but I will, I'll throw it out there. I was dogged and picked on for my geekdom as a kid. It, it was hard when I was a kid growing up geek. Sounds like a TV show. Growing up geek with the beaver, you know. But seriously, it, it was tough. I mean, I took a lot of shit for being a Star Wars fan, for being a comic book fan as, as a kid. I'm talking like, you know, like, say, middle school on up. A lot of shit for it. And uh, and I'm not sure that the world is like that these days. Or, you know, America. You know, I, I think that because of the current level of geek popularity in our culture, with all the the movies coming out and things like that, I have a feeling it may be easier. Because, for example, my, you know, my oldest boy is 13 years old, really into geeky stuff, right? Yeah, thank God. He has yet to ever come home bawling his eyes out one day that the kids on the school bus were picking on him because he likes Iron Man or some shit like that. You know, thank God that hasn't happened to him. But that shit used to happen to me on a pretty frequent fucking basis when I was a kid. And so I think that that's why I get defensive about my geeky things and I don't want the jock douchebags latching on to it or touching it because it feels like they're sullying my thing to me because I did 
It comes up to, I think you and I had brought this up before. We used a term, something about we earned our geekdom or some fucking thing like yeah. that. I, that. But that's. We made our bones. Exactly. You know, that may sound pretentious as hell, but God damn it, I mean it. I feel like I fucking earned the badge of geekdom by putting up with shit all my life from these fucking people. And again, I, I want to be corrected. If I'm wrong, that that kids don't put up with that shit today, but I just that's just the impression I have that the world has changed a bit, and it's not you're not a total social fucking pariah in this day and age if if you grow up a geek. I, I just I have a feeling yeah. that you're not. I, I I don't think it has the same social stigma. I, I don't as it as it does either because you know Star Wars is so prevalent. Mm-hmm. And Star Trek, and, and even Star Trek now that you know J.J. Abrams has gotten in on the act, <clears throat> and you know, like you said, Iron Man is so popular. Mm-hmm. You know, Spider Man has had three. You know, you know, they got worse as they went along, but they were fairly successful films. The X Men had three fairly successful films. Right. You know, Marvel pretty much owned the cinematic marketplace. In, you know, in the aughts. Right. So, it, and, it, and it made it more more acceptable for a larger audience to like it. And, and I've always felt rather torn on mm-hmm. that. Because part of me is just like, well, that's good. You know, you know, it's more accepted and more people like it. But there's also this part of me, and, 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 and he, and Frankie tags it as elitist, and, and I really can't argue with that much, that's just like, no, don't take my shit away from me. Right. I fought really fucking long and hard to find something I liked, because I didn't fit in with anybody. And... You know, gro- me growing up, I was usually... There were there were kids in the, in the, in the junior high and high school that liked comics. Uh, and, and w- you know, we'd talk about stuff every once in a while, but I never had any comic book friends. I had never had anybody I went to the shop with. My friends went to the shop with me, but that was only in our communal shopping experience. Because, you know, it's like, okay, we're going to head over to the comic shop, then we're going to go over to the CD store, uh, and then we're going to go grab some pizza, and then we're going to run run over to Blockbuster and rent a few movies. It was just a stop on the way. Right. So I, I never had, until I was an adult, and really and truly I can count on my hand the number of people I've known in my adult life that I have had any that that have ever gotten me and my likes as a comic book fan uh, on one hand and have a couple of fingers left over so I have always felt very isolated and, in, and, and insular as, as a comic book fan I, I remember uh, the the Monday, sorry, Tuesday after Superman number 75 came out, I went to school wearing the armband. Right. And I took it off after second period because some fucker drew on the desk a, a very unkind likeness of me wearing the armband. And it shamed me into taking it off. Mm. And that was just kind of how it was. Right. And and I'm glad that if, if when, when, when Rachel and I do have children, that hopefully by the time they're getting to be 13 or so, that you know they'll they'll have a more accepting environment too because I, I tell you what if if a kid comes home balling I'm gonna be pretty fucking pissed right <laughs> gonna you know like you know they they're threatening baby cub Papa Bear is gonna be you know kicking your ass right so. <laughs> but that's just me I mean I I think a lot of my opinions come out of the fact that. I've always been alone until recently, and that sounds a lot more dramatic than it was. And 
now that it's become more accepted, it's just like, no, no, fuck you. Right. <laughs> Go away, asshole. <laughs> well, uh, the, the rest of uh, Frankie's letter, I think, kind of kind of goes to some of these points here. He, he continues saying, uh, another example, he says, did I take a lot of shit for being into Superman in the 90s? Sure. I also took a lot of shit for being into Michael Jackson in the 90s. I'm sorry. I don't mean to laugh at that. Sometimes uh, from people who were also geeks and sometimes uh, get camaraderie or whatever from people I wouldn't really call geeks at all. Come to think of it, at least one such guy thought my Superman action figure was fat, P-H-A-T. He says, now believe me, I'm not going to say, well, at least people are into it because I see a lot of guys on message boards who think they're the coolest people in the world because they started reading reading comics, but have some friends who don't. And so often they're just nerds who piss and moan over continuity problems in comics from the 40s and uh, who have the most trite and hackneyed thoughts over everything, but don't want to feel like nerds. So they uh, so talk to us like they have to enlighten us to the outside world because they're, quote, in touch. Those people make me want to puke. The moral of the story is, uh, yeah, I have friends who don't read comics, too. Uh, what I am going to say is that I do like how waitresses at like Hooters or Chili's or whatever say, oh, that's cool when I talk about something that happened at Comic-Con or whatever. I also don't mind jocks wearing Superman S's because uh, while there are plenty of guys who fit the douchebag jock stereotype, uh, there are plenty who aren't. Just as there are different kinds of geeks, there are different kinds of jocks. There's the douchebag jock, but there's also the after-school special jock. I don't know what he means by that. I'll explain that in a second. Getting offended by the thought of a hipster wearing a faux-faded Spider-Man t-shirt is like getting offended by a geek using slang. I can only speak for myself, but I don't think this grr, all the popular kids uh, just want to be mean to me because their bad attitude has done me much good. Sincerely, Frankie Adiego. Frankie, um, I respect your opinions very much, um, but the latter part of this uh, letter, I, I'm just going to be honest and say I don't agree with very much of it, uh, but I'm going to let it lie right there for, for civility's sake. What what he means by the douche badge? Douche badge. Douche there ought to be a douche badge, shouldn't there? And we can hand it out to people. <laughs> here's your douche, you know, like that. Who's that guy? Bill Engel has the "Here's your sign." Yeah, here's your sign. People, we should have. Here's your douche badge. Yeah, I love that idea. Uh, the after school special jock is the jock that has learned a great lesson and has become a better person. Uh, because they've gone through something. When I was uh, when I was a senior in high school, I. Granted, I was never beaten up and shoved in the locker. My head was never put into a toilet, thankfully. But I it's did coming. catch a lot of shit. <laughs> if you try to put my head in a toilet, I will break your goddamn arm. <laughs> uh, anyways, um, e- even though you got about six inches in military training. Well, maybe, me, so. maybe, maybe it'll be a matter of Michael, not Michael coming to the toilet, but the toilet <laughs> coming to Michael. <laughs> But um, as Confucius used of, to say, uh, I, I caught a lot of crap from people just because I was shorter and usually overweight, and, and it, it was really bad in tenth grade when I was in swim class because there was this guy 
uh, that would just give me shit again and again and again. And 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 the the worst thing about it is sometimes he would do it in the in the in the locker room and he'd be stark ass naked in front of me giving me shit. And it's hard to take anybody seriously when they're naked giving you a hard time. Um, <laughs> he just wanted you, dude. <laughs> around my junior year. It just kind of backed off a little. I don't know if they found other people to pick on, whatever. But in my senior year, in my speech class, uh, I sat next to the, literally sat next to the captain of the football team, this dude named Andy Shaver. And he thought I was funny. And Andy was a nice guy in general. You know, there was never really anything about him that I saw that that made me think that, you know, he was probably one of those football players that saw his friends being assholes and went, God damn it, why do I hang out with these people? And I think that's the kind of jock he's talking about. But this guy thought I was funny. Because I would make up my speeches at, like, you know, in in the study hall period before speech class because I could talk in front of a large group of people without much issue. I had done a lot of theater in high school. So I got over that fear rather quick. But for some reason, and I don't know if there's like a fucking meeting that these guys have once a week and one of them's got a clipboard of the people they're going to give shit to and the people they're going to say hi to the hall, say hi to in the hall. But somehow I got on that list because suddenly football players were saying hi to me out of nowhere and I didn't know who the fuck they were. So I just have to assume that at that meeting that week, it's like, okay, guys, uh, you know, Joe Blow, yeah, we, you, you guys can continue putting him in the lockers. It's okay. And, uh, you know, you know, John Dugan, you know, just keep giving him shit. Oh, Mike Bailey, we're taking him off that list because he's a pretty funny guy. Uh, you know, I don't want to invite him to any of the parties, but, you know, he's okay to say hi in the hall to him. Everyone's like, okay, boss. And they, they took their notes, and that's how things went. I don't know if that's what happened, but that's how it plays out in my head. So, Do you want us? We should rough up Michael Bailey, boss? <laughs> nah, give him a break this week. <laughs> Now stop playing pocket pool. <laughs> <laughs> I had literally never heard that that phrase until you. Oh, you got to be kidding me! <laughs> no, I'm not. Uh, so I guess at some point we should talk about a comic book. <laughs> I know there's got to be at least one listener going. I thought this was a goddamn Justice Society podcast. When the hell are they going to talk about that? No, I just like the fact that we have such lively listeners. We do, and these emails are awesome. I, I completely mean that. Please keep sending them in because uh, I, I hope that you guys are ha- liking the conversation we're getting out of these uh, emails half as much as, as we are because, <laughs> to me, I think this is my favorite part of the of the episodes is just the, the, the free-roaming conversation that, that you know comes out of the, the emails. I, I love it. I think it's awesome. Very much so. I, I'm totally... Th- those are the kind of podcasts I really enjoy listening to are the, are the ones where... You know, they go in kind of not really having much of a topic, and something comes up, and that's what they run with. I, I enjoy that, and I, I, so I hope the listeners likewise enjoy it when when we do it. So, but yes, we do have a topic, and it is All Star Comics number sixty eight. This is the September October issue from nineteen seventy seven, cover by Al Milgram and Jack Abel. Writer on this one is Paul Levitz. Illustrators are Joe Staten and Bob Layton. Uh, original cover price is $0.35. Cents. Story entitled Divided We Stand. There is no roll call in this issue, but I made one up. It's Dr. Fate, The Flash, Wildcat, Power Girl, Hawkman, The Star, Spangled Kid, Green Lantern, Our Man, Dick Grayson, 
and Bruce Wayne. The JSA uh, arrives back at their headquarters and are dismayed to find Dr. Fate already there, seemingly just hanging out. The Flash is really pissed, and he's all like, dude, what the <laughs> fuck? You bailed on us back in Alaska just so you could come home and play with your crystal balls? And uh, everyone else then kind of pig piles on Dr. Fate, and they all call bullshit on his constant crying about there being a bigger, badder, more important cosmic calamity calling him away from whatever mission that they're on at the time. Power Girl tries to calm the situation and asks uh, that they all give Fate a chance to explain himself. Fate then tells the group that he has located the Green Lantern, but that he uh, he is their comrade no longer. We cut to Gotham International Airport, where Green Lantern is on the rampage, tearing all kinds of shit up, ranting and raving about his bankrupted business. He uses his... He's like Gary Buse. <laughs> He's awesome. He uses his ring to literally fling around airplanes and shit, and he demands a million dollars cash, or he'll cause ten million dollars worth of damage faster than you can spell Edie Amin, and that's a quote right from the issue. Got a kick out of that. Meanwhile, in Cape Town, South Africa, Dick Grayson assists a recovering hour man as they board a flight bound for the U.S. Back at the Gotham Airport, the other JSAs have, uh, JSAers have arrived, and Dr. Fate and Power Girl try to subdue Green Lantern while the others assist civilians. Green Lantern holds his own in the fight, and Fate detects a mystic menace at large. Not one to ever miss a cue, apparently. Our mystery villain seizes the opportunity to introduce himself. He is none other than the Psycho Pirate, one of my favorites. And he is using Green Lantern as a tool to destroy the JSA. Dr. Fate tells him basically, <laughs> whoopty shit, I beat you once, I can do it again. But with Green Lantern as his slave, the Psycho Pirate is proving harder to beat this time around. He uses his emotion-influencing ability to cripple a power girl and fate with despair. Green Lantern then whisks them both away, you know, himself and the psychopire, away to safety. Hours later, police commissioner Bruce Wayne meets Dick Grayson and Hourman as their flight comes in. And Wayne, uh, Wayne confides in the two that he's issued warrants for the arrest of the JSAers. But as these guys are some of the most powerful heroes, you know, mightiest heroes on earth, I think is what he calls them, no police force can handle them. So that's why he sent for Grayson and our man and why he needs their help. In his hidden headquarters, Psycho Pirate brags uh, about his amplified powers. And while secretly spying on the JSA as they meet back at their headquarters, he puts the next phase of his evil plan into effect. Uh, at the JSA meeting itself, everybody is bumming out because uh, they can't find any leads on the whereabouts of Green Lantern. Wildcat berates them all for giving up so easily. The Flash gets pissed again, this time at Wildcat, and he runs off in a huff. Power Girl tries to follow him, but the Flash is long gone. Reckoning that the Flash couldn't possibly have gotten out of her sight that fast, uh, Dr. Fate surmises that the Flash actually went to Earth-1. 
Now, I must point out that that's some absolutely amazing deductive reasoning by Dr. Faye, and it doesn't smack one iota of let's just move the story forward, you know? No, sir, not. Yeah, that, that's an amazing leap in logic. <laughs> and when I say it doesn't smack a little iota at all, what I actually mean is it totally freaking does. <laughs> so anyway, um, so on Earth-1, at the Psycho Pirates secret lair, the JSA combined busting in as uh, the Psycho Pirate, Green Lantern, and The Flash are all holding hands and laughing. And I'm not making that shit up either. Um, and then the battle is on JSAer against JSAer. The Flash takes out Power Girl by tricking her into running into a wall at super speed. This will come up next issue. I just got to know, why the hell would that knock her out? I mean, doesn't she come busting through walls all the goddamn time anyway? So it just doesn't make any sense. Even if she slammed into it face first like she does in this issue, it should not knock her out. Anyway, uh, Fate and Green Lantern tussle again, and the Psycho Pirate paralyzes the Star-Spangled Kid and Hawkman with fear. So, the last man standing? Wildcat, who then proceeds to put the Psycho Pirate down with one backhanded bitch slap. Uh, Psycho Pirate is out. Green Lantern and the Flash are unzombified. And in Prologue 1, we get the JSA hanging out at the JLA satellite with Hal Jordan. Uh, they're admiring the Justice League's digs and pronouncing that closes the book on this case. In Prologue 2, on Earth 2, Bruce Wayne is making plans to close the book on the JSA in a whole other fashion altogether. To be continued. Meanwhile, stay tuned for the annual JLA-JSA Classic Crisis in the 30th Century. Yeah! Beginning in Justice League number 147. <sighs> it's amazing. It's like you can see my notes, because that's exactly the sort of thing I had here. Because you know, they, they do. They they. They at the same time they had their annual meetup with the with the Justice League, and you know by all rights it should be should have been awesome. awesome. It's the Justice League, the Justice Society, and the Legion of Superheroes all versus Mordru. It should have totally rocked, and it totally pretty much sucks. It's really a shame. It's really really a shame. But uh, is it? Is it next issue or the issue after? I think it's the issue after. I think it's number 69, if I remember right, that starts where basically they're getting back from yeah, that. Adventure. It's the next issue. Yeah. It is. So. so, And I remember when I read these back in like 1999, 2000, I believe it was 2000, uh, when I went through my whole Golden Age, as I had it at the time run, that I got to this point and felt like I really missed out on something. Mm-hmm. And when I finally got to read it a couple of years ago, when I started picking up the Crisis on Multiple Earths trades, I'm like, no. 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 And that sounds overly negative. I just didn't enjoy the story. You know, <sighs> it was really convoluted. It, it, there were way too many characters running around for the story that it was telling. And it, it just it just wasn't a really good team up between the two teams. Maybe I should wait. Maybe I should save this because I know this is going to come up later in, in an email that we got from somebody. But I, I'll just throw it out there real quick. I do feel badly in a way that we're skipping that stuff because if nothing else, I feel a little bit hypocritical because I sent you an email when when we were first becoming friends and, and I was uh, I first discovered. Um, from crisis to crisis 
kind of sort of half-assed giving you a little bit of grief about the fact that you guys were being selective in the stories that you were covering of Superman in that era. And I felt like, look, you know, if, if you're going to call yourselves the, the definitive podcast of that era, then you can't skip things. You know, you got to cover everything. So I do feel hypocritical, honestly, being selective of the stories that we're going to cover with this. But I just don't feel like not only are we really missing anything, I don't feel like the, we're, we're cheating the listeners out of anything to skip some of those stories because they're really, I mean, honestly, that story is just not any good. It's really not. I really don't think. And, and, and in all honesty, we're not comprehensive. Otherwise, we would have started earlier and been throwing in more stuff. <laughs> That's true, too. So, and, and now I can delete that email saying that you were being kind of hypocritical. So, <laughs> I oh, I'm sure we get tons of those. <clears throat> no, the one I was going to write to you for oh. shit about that. We're skipping it here. Oops, sorry. <laughs> I covered Cosmic Odyssey for you, asshole. <laughs> oh, thanks for taking a bullet for the team, dude. Uh, Actually, it was a lot better than I remembered. Really? See, I've, I haven't read it since since I read it when it initially came out, and I remember not being horribly impressed with it. But uh, now I got to add, you know, this is really my one note for this I mean, I could. I guess I could. I've got. I've got a couple oh, okay. that I can go through really quick. So, but you go. But you go ahead. First. I, it's really just more of a question more than anything. Now, I feel bad for Green Lantern. I, I understand his frustration, right? And I understand he's yeah. also being mind controlled by by uh, Psycho Pirate. You know, but he just lost his business and all this sort of thing. However, I just got to know what what the hell is this beef with the Gotham International Airport? That doesn't have a fucking thing to do with Gotham Broadcasting in his particular situation. I mean, did he just need feel the need to just tear something up, and that was just the 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 nearest place or something? I, it seems like probably. You know, I don't know. I mean, if if you were were trying to extort a million dollars out of somebody with your magic ring, wouldn't you go to? I don't know, like the mall or or the the police headquarters or a hospital or something. I mean, why go to the airport? I just, I don't know, it just seemed a little silly to me, but what did you have on this one? Um, I like the fact that Power Girl was the rational one in this issue. (laughs) Like, she was the one telling him, you guys, shut the fuck up, he might have something to say. Uh, I feel, it's time for me to feel a little hypocritical, because I have bitched on most of my podcasts in the past that I think that Ed Benes has way too many um, TNA shots. Mm Mm-hmm that are gratuitous but I found myself more and more in this issue going man Power Girl's hot <laughs> yes, on that first yeah. page oh, you know yeah. she's got she's got a little junk in that trunk she's got those kind of she's got what I would call ice skater thighs mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying because the muscles are so well developed they don't have like slender legs but it's still kind of sexy in a way mm-hmm. uh, and just like when she smashes into that wall at the end, towards the end of the issue, when she and, and Flash are fighting, it's like her ass is like the main feature of that page. So, yeah, I'm a bit of a hypocrite too. So, I think uh, I think Flash is vibrating, so you don't see his Woody from uh, from from looking at her in that. Well, wouldn't her thing. chest serve as some sort of like rubber ball effect, or at least like shock absorbers when she slammed into that wall? Um, <laughs> or was that just totally no. wrong? That that that's kind of interesting. Um, our man looks blind on page four <laughs> with his cane. Let me see this. 
Yes, he does. He does, actually. <laughs> Uh, I have always been on the fence about Psycho Pirate. I really liked him in Crisis on yes. Infinite Earths. Yeah. But I think everywhere else I've just found him to be kind of a useless villain. Uh, th- that's just me, though. I mean, I see his function, but he was great in that story, and I think that kind of colored my perceptions of, of who he is as a character. And that's probably not fair to him, but, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> um yeah, you you mentioned the hand-holding thing. My note on that was page 13 is just weird, because at first I thought they were high-fiving each other. <laughs> but now they're all just holding hands, and I'm wondering if, if, if Psycho Pirate has just had a major crush on these two, and this is how he's getting them to finally hold hands. <laughs> it looks like they should be singing, like, Ring Around the Rosie something, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. And then Green Lantern accidentally decapitates him with his ring. <laughs> um, speaking of that Flash Power Girl fight, I like the fact that this is kind of like round two of their race from earlier oh, in the yeah. series. That, that I kind of uh, liked, and I really liked that Wildcat, even though he's becoming stupid. I do not issues. like his Ben Grimm dialogue at all. Yeah, just just come out slugging. It's 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 like suddenly it's 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 uh, Burgess Meredith from the Rocky films. I'm gonna eat lightning and crap thunder. I mean, Jesus. But you know, he's the one that takes him down basically because he doesn't look him in the eye, which is a kind of a poor fighting style. But whatever, <laughs> you know, you just you know. But it was just cool. I liked it. He does kind of bitch fist him because <laughs> uh, it's not a fast. But but man, he just he's just like bam, and he's gone, and that's just kind of awesome. So uh, the fact that the, the epilogue took place, the epilogue one took place twenty two thousand three hundred miles over Earth one. That was just a weird transition. Mm-hmm. That was just really strange. Uh, it was. I, I mean, I, I got the second epilogue. That made sense. I have a feeling that there's probably like like free snacks on the J- JLA satellite, <laughs> and that's really why they did it, just so they could go and like, you know, go go scarf some some God, hogs you know, I'm and really ding hungry, and, But I don't have any cash. Yeah, there you go. Do, 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 do you think? Do you think? Firestorm left those. Uh, no, Firestorm's not on the team yet. Do, do you think Barry brought some of Iris's like uh, Snickerdoodles? Because I can. Really uh, it's all Hostess products, man. Well, yeah, probably. <laughs> they, they, get, they get a shipment once a week. A guy comes up on the teleporter. They're getting the fucking like, kickback from the ads, man. You know they are. Hey, here's your fruit pies, your cupcakes, and your Twinkies. <laughs> Remember Pepperidge Farm, remembers. <laughs> I don't know why I was doing that voice. That's the voice I always do when I'm talking about people in Smallville on From Crisis to Crisis. Well, I can't get there from here. <laughs> no, I, I, I it, this is one of those issues that I that I enjoyed immensely. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're really getting in. It's sad that we're getting into the point where this book takes off. Yes, and then it's pretty much over. Yep. Um, and 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 that's just kind of sad. But it's also one of those ones where it's. I've used this comparison in the past. I'll use it again. It's like when you get like a really good Big Mac and large fry and a Coke at at McDonald's and you're done with it. You're like, that was good. Okay, on with life. (laughs) You You don't sit there all day going, man, those pickles. God, they were good. No, it's it's just that kind of story. It's not like the next issue, which I was just like, awesome. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) from like beginning to freaking end. I swear to God. This is just one of those really solid issues that just doesn't really 
you know, it foster much. Discussion. Yeah, it, it really doesn't. That's that's sad, but it really doesn't. I mean, it's it's it, it's a solid issue with some Writing fantastic good, art. Fucking and, incredible. Yeah, and yeah. that's a, that's about it, really. So uh, we do have some ads. Sadly, again, no hostess ad. Well, there is, but it's that goofy one for the free baseball cards. Whoopty shit. Super prizes with the Youth Opportunity Sales Club. Again, that sounds kind of creepy. It does. Uh, I, I really don't. There, in the uh, right, right uh, in the 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 hodgepodge page, there is the new parachute ball. Said enjoy hours of fun. I'm going. To, I really want Chris Honeywell to scan that and replace hours with minutes <laughs> because. <laughs> Yeah, another freaking Daisy era. I was never allowed to have a BB gun, so I'm kind of... That guy's not that kid's father, by the way. <laughs> and something really bad happens yes. in the next panel. It's sick and twisted. <laughs> um, I'm not going to make another Crazy Crabs <laughs> joke. Uh, we, we talked about the great Superman movie contest last episode. Yep. So we really don't have to go over that again. But I, I like seeing it just the same. Now here's That's one I wanted cool. to comment. Yeah. Because, uh, across from page 11, we have a beautiful Marshall Rogers uh, promo. It takes up the entire page yes. promo for when he took over as artist on Mr. Miracle along with uh, Steve Englehart writing. I'm not sure if I have all those issues. I think I do, but uh, wow, some fantastic art. Now, Mr. Miracle, quite honestly, he's he's another one of those characters I, I just could honestly kind of give a rat's ass about. However, I purposely was tracking down those issues just because the art is so fabulous in those. I mean, it's really nice, nice stuff. Moving along, what else we got here star hunters you know i've never checked this out but just the simple fact that it's got uh don newton art inked by bob layton if i ever come across this i'm gonna have to check it out i loved don newton's art man i miss that guy so much written by david michelin yeah yeah i like it yeah he's no slouch as a writer either yeah i like his stuff what else we got put a super friend on your chest well if it's wonder woman i'm all for that (laughs) yeah i was about to say Especially Linda Carter. But, you know, even though the art in this ad is pretty piss poor, you can tell what it's supposed to be. And these, any one of these t-shirts would be totally cool because you got Batman, you got uh, Captain Marvel, Wonder Woman, and Superman. And then the beach towels are cool because that Superman is a uh, as a Neil Adams. I forget who the artist is on that Batman and Robin one, but I've seen that pose a lot of times. Probably an infant. Yeah. And then I'd be willing to bet. Yeah, I don't know who did the Wonder Woman one either, but I know that that's. You know, I mean, they're all. Every one of them is an iconic image. I'm just not sure of the artists on all of them, but yeah, some cool stuff. Really cool stuff. Um, now we're about to we're about to start giggling like 14 year olds. Every month, all new double length action. <laughs> or every night, you know, if you can take it. So. <laughs> Uh, but we have the. Where the, the hell are you seeing that, by the way? Uh, oh, I see. I see the last page. Yeah, Superboy and the Legion and uh, and uh, Justice, Justice League, League when they were the the giant now they, uh, issues. They only show a portion of that cover, but that cover is completely ridiculous on that Justice League issue. Yeah, I was looking at it on Mike's Amazing World of DC <laughs> Comics. Uh, who who wrote to me recently? So hi, Mike. Oh, I hope cool. you're listening. Yeah, I was I was very happy because I've been using his site for for many many moons so the uh the great superman movie contest uh entry in this issue was the letter s 
the letter S. So I hope you got a copy where somebody didn't deface their their book in the hopes of getting in the movie. I've never seen a a comic with the thing cut out of it, so it tells me a lot of kids didn't participate or something. I don't know. But uh, um, Finally, we have another Daily Planet page. Now, this is my idea of a Daily Planet page because we got the Ask the Answer Man column, and I lived for this column when I was a kid. I love this. And uh, you want me to go go down the list of questions real quick, just for shits and giggles? Yeah, let's let's do it really quick because uh, we are running a bit. Long yeah, way long, I think. Um, all right, we got uh, on the cover of Green Lantern. You have the words "the award-winning comic." What award did it win? And it said the answer is it won ACBA Shazam Awards for writer Denny O'Neill, artist Neil Adams, and Dick Giordano. Uh, best story and best magazine back in 1970 and 71. Another question is: Are Batman and Robin really, or excuse me, Bat Curl rather, and Robin? <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> Sir. And uh, when did they find out each other's identities? Uh, the answer is no. They faked the wedding to smoke out the head of Maze, and they discovered who was who back in Batman Family number three. What is the difference between managing editor, editor, and story editor at DC? Joe Orlando, our managing editor, uh, rides herd over all of our magazines, approving stories, art, and covers for each title. There is no difference between editors and story editors. In fact, uh, they now all have the same title, and their job is to plot stories and edit the scripts for publication. And that was pretty much it in that. But, man, I always, I always enjoyed his stuff. He, he just uh, – what, what I really amazed to was the fact that you get so much information from so few words. He, he was a master of really utilizing that space that he was given. Yeah, and the ACBA, by the way, I believe is the Academy of Comic Book Arts. Oh, okay. Uh, if I'm remembering that acronym correctly. Uh, but the two stories are, you know, they talk. It talks about the JLA, JSA, and Legion battle Mordru, and uh, they also battle Abnegazer, Wraith, and Gast, I believe. Oh, okay. And, and there's a little piece on Kane and Company reveal secrets of haunted house. Uh, they've taken off in a balloon to elude destiny and get their own tales told to your readers before their compatriots find them. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, the only other thing is direct currents, but we like to call that elsewhere in the DC multiverse. Yeah. Starting right off, Batman 291 has an awesome freaking cover yep. on it. Now, God, was that awesome. the issue that kicked off that storyline? I have no idea. I... Th- uh, I told you that I have a couple goals for that comic show we're going mm-hmm. to. One of them is I want to see how much '70s Batman oh, I can cool. find in those in those bins. That's like you know, Brave and the Bold, Batman and Detective. And if I can find Batman Family issues, you'll hear it from across the goddamn room. So, if you ever saw the uh, the episode of Batman the Animated Series, and now I'm going to blank on the goddamn title of it. Almost, got I think him. it's almost got him. Yeah, where every villain. Is telling his story. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, that's it. That's the one where each, hit him with a rock. Yeah, each one of the villains is telling a different story of how they almost killed Batman. This storyline was very similar to that, except that I can't remember the exact setup, but Batman was believed to be dead, and each villain in in the issues that it was a several issue story arc, which was 
still kind of a new concept back then for DC. In yeah. in every issue, a different villain, and I, I know that there was one with the Joker, one with the Riddler, and a couple different ones. Each issue was that villain telling their story of how they killed the Batman, and it was really cool. It was a, it was a very good uh, very good story. I'm just kind of surprised for the '70s that it says, "May he burn in hell." Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Very dynamic so, cover. I really like that yeah. one. Oh, God, Aparo is awesome. What else? That is Aparo, isn't it? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that has to be Aparo. I'm sorry. What was I thinking? Um, I like that Superman cover. I recently bought that issue off of eBay for like a buck. The one where he fights uh, Blackrock? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I like that one. And uh, Black Lightning number four. I think that's the best uh, cover for the original. Yeah, that is kind of awesome. I've never seen that yeah. cover before. I was like, oh, that's cool. Superman's just, he's saying something very threatening, like, oh, if you've hurt Jimmy Olsen, I'm going to beat your ass, basically. <laughs> it's a great cover. I, I should have, well, you should have Chris Honeywell put your picture, your like a picture of you on Black Lightning's body. <laughs> that would be Doing like a total, like, big eyes. Oh, shit. You know, the yeah, excellent. <laughs> oh, that would be very funny. And we got, uh, the uh, DC Special Series number one with an what awesome a cover. cover. Yeah. Love that cover. Just got all these great Justice League guys all, all like breaking out and everything. I just really like that one. Freedom Fighters number 10 with uh, with Phantom Lady. And I think they're fighting Catman in that. That is Catman. Yeah. Yes, it is indeed. Uh, got Jimmy Olsen like <laughs> kicking Superman in the face. <laughs> Poor, how humiliating to be have your ass whooped by Jimmy Olsen. Uh, but I, I think I like the cover to the Batman family more because that's the outsider. Yep, Alfred, uh, right? Alfred was the outsider. I don't know if he's the outsider in this one, but uh, I, I really, I think Aparo is one of those people that can draw Robin's co- uh, costume really, really oh, yeah. well, and I, and I like his Batgirl. My, my friend uh, Stella is going to probably be covering this uh, eventually in her Batgirl to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. Oh, cool. Because she's starting with her first appearance and moving through all of her uh, appearances uh, using the Showcase Presents. So well, it's, it's a very good podcast. It's funny because Barbara Gordon is uh, is going to get another plug here in just a moment with another book on this cover. And I, I wonder if you know about this one. We'll see when we get there, I guess. Uh Another great Aparo cover on the uh, Brave and the Bold. Yeah, with the Metal Men. I don't think I have that particular. If, if I do, I don't remember. I could give a rat's ass about the Metal Men. Yeah, Man. but I <laughs> love Brave, the, this era of Brave and the Bold. I would love mm-hmm. to have a complete collection of these uh, Aparo Brave and the Bolds. Just because just I, I like Even when he teamed up with... You know, with the, you know, when the team up wasn't all that spectacular, I, I still dig them. Uh, they're just the, just the art, if nothing else, is great. DC Special Series number two, reprinting some uh, some early Bernie Wrights and Swamp things. I think I have that one. I can't remember what issues it reprints, but damn, it's some great stuff. What I liked was that those reprints had new covers on them. Yeah, and I think at least one of them was a wraparound, which again, that was kind of a rarity back in these days to have a, a wraparound cover. I could be wrong. It's been a while since I've dug those books out, but I think at least one of those Swamp Thing reprints had a wraparound on it. I like the Detective Comics cover, too. That's part of the Inglehart yeah. Rogers 
uh, run, so I'm very happy about that. That Adventure Comics with Superboy, I actually bought all of those because I was collecting all of Superboy's appearances uh, around, from around this time. Yep. So I have, I have, I'm missing like one or two of those Adventure Comics, but th- those are basically the preview issues to the new Adventures of Superboy. Right. That Carrie Bates and Kurt Schaffenberger would do uh, at the, around 1979. Now I don't remember who the artist is in this particular issue, but a lot of Superman or excuse me, Superboy's adventures in Adventure Comics were drawn by Joe Staten, and I really like that stuff a lot. He did a very uh, dynamic Superboy, and I, I like the look of his version of Smallville too. I always thought it was cool. But uh, now this girl that's knocking the Daylights out of Superboy is Mighty Girl, and I can't remember how she gets her superpowers in that issue. But at the end of that story, she's revealed to be a very young Barbara Gordon. How does that fucking work? I don't remember. I think that she's like there vacationing with her parents or some shit all i can it's i mean I, it has been an ungodly amount of years since i read this story but all i can remember about it is it had something to do with like uh like a um what do you call that when the kids would go off to camp you know like the the day camp whatever the hell they call yeah. that and she's at camp and somehow attains superpowers and becomes mighty girl and at the end of the issue you know, it reveals that she's like a, a really young. Uh, I'm, gonna or, tell, I'm gonna have to tell my friend Stella yep. about that. Absolutely, that's funny. And I only mentioned Stella because she mentioned me like 15 times. Podcast, <laughs> so I feel like I, I feel like I owe her. So, well, the only other things I see on this that that jump out to me is just totally awesome. Is uh, Marshall Rogers cover on Mr. Miracle number 19. I just love it because yes. he looks he's sitting down, he looks totally laid back while his giant floaty head of granny goodness is yelling at him. It's hilarious. And then we got uh, Weird Western Tales number 42 with Scalp Hunter who I just, I just dig him. I just think he's cool. Alrighty. Uh, I guess the only other thing is where this book was reprinted. Uh, you tell me, man, because I don't have a note. <laughs> oh, God. I'm sorry. Well, this is in number um, two, right? The Justice... Uh, this, is in, this is in volume two of the Justice Society of America trade. This is the one that kicks it off. You've been listening to Tales of the Justice Society of America, hosted by Scott H. Gardner and Michael R. Bailey. You can email the show by writing to talesofthejsa at gmail.com. You can find the show at two, yes, count them, two websites. The first being www.fortressofbailey2.com You can also find the show and subscribe to it through iTunes at www.twotruefreaks.libson.com Scott has two other podcasts that he co-hosts on a weekly basis. The first is Two True Freaks, which Scott hosts with his childhood friend and former weightlifting partner of Lou Ferrigno, Chris Honeywell. Then there's Back to the Bins, which Scott co-hosts with a cavalcade of podcasting's finest hosts. Both of those can be found at www.twotruefreaks.libson.com. Mike has two other podcasts he hosts or co-hosts as well. The first is Views from the Long Box, which Mike hosts all by his lonesome for the most part. And you can find that at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. 
Then there's the From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which Mike hosts with Jeffrey Taylor. That show can be found at both www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbailytude.com. Thank you for listening, and join us next week as we present more Tales of the Justice Society of America. Whoa, hold on there, listener, before you go. Hi guys, Scott here for one last bit of late-breaking news. If you're anywhere nearby to Atlanta, Georgia, then be sure to get your ass to the Atlanta Comic Convention on February 7th from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. Michael Bailey and I will be attending, and we would love to meet some of our listeners there. That's the one-day show, Sunday, February 7th from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. in Atlanta, Georgia. And you can find details, including directions, at www.atlantacomicconvention, all one word, dot com. And tell them you heard about it from us, okay? Hope to see you guys there.